You read the Bible, Greg. You talking to me? I'm a long sample. Keep up. Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Uh, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. So what you want? Jesus freaking. I got a bad feeling about this. King Kong ain't got shit on me! Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Each and every man under my command owes me 100 net scouts. <laughs> Start see pictures, eh? Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Hello and welcome to the Film and Loathing Podcast for Sunday, December 29th, 2019. This is episode number 55, and I'm Jake. I'm Chris. And I'm Zach. Coming up, we'll have a review of the film Uncut Gems starring Adam Sandler. We'll also be talking about some other things that we watched and whatever else comes up along the way. I uh, hope you guys had a great Christmas. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for tuning in. And... Here to discuss Uncut Gems is what he described as his most anticipated movie of the year. Andrew Clark, thanks for coming back. Howdy. You've been waiting for this moment since, like, October. Maybe September. Well, yes, but also I've been waiting for this movie since I walked out of Good Time in 2017. Was Uncut Gems confirmed when that movie had come out? Like, was it still in, like, pre-production? Yes, well, it's interesting and we'll obviously get into this as we discuss it more but when i i'd watched heaven knows what first before i saw uncut gems and as i was reading about their filmography and stuff they've been working on this movie for the last 10 years and stuff so the date hadn't been confirmed but i knew this was their next film and you know whatever was going to be next was most anticipated yeah, I knew it had been in the production for like, or like had been in the works for ten years, but I wasn't sure like at what stage it was in, if it was even like worth announcing that it would be up and coming. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember when, at what state it was when Good Time came out. I feel like it was probably a few months later that they had that like, Jonah Hill was attached to it, and then. Oh okay. That would have been interesting. Yeah. I think so, but I don't know. Can't beat the Sandman. No, you can't. Um, did you guys all have good Christmases? Yeah, I guess. If you want to call it a good Christmas, I had to work. No, you didn't have to. You chose to. Oh, that's right. For two days <laughs> in one day. Mm. Was uh, it my- worth it? Oh, um, I would say so. I left early, so I didn't even get my full eight hours, but I definitely got paid time and a half for the time I was there. And then I left, ate some prime rib, and saw the old Star Wars. Ah, yes. So it was a decent Christmas. Uh, My Christmas was spent seeing this movie, and that was great. Is that a nice Christmas? Sure did. Right on. It's, it's a good summarization. That's awesome. <laughs> a lot of detail there. I had Chinese food. You had Chinese food on Christmas? Yeah. Love having Chinese food on Christmas. At Olive Garden the day before. Whoa. That's a, good, that's a good Christmas Eve right there. Did you get soup salad breadsticks? Or did uh, you for Italy? 
No, no, no. I was an eggplant farm guy. Good call. The closest Olive Garden to me is literally like an hour away. That's terrible. What's the point of being alive? <laughs> or at least what's the point of living where I live? Nope. I had it right. Just living? <laughs> oh, shit. That's so wild. Can't imagine being that far away from an Olive Garden. It's like, say, the nearest McDonald's to you is more than 20 minutes away. That is not true. It's literally like, it's like five minutes away. All right, well, then let's just jump into it then. Uh, Uncut Gems is directed by Josh and Benny Safdie. Uh, It stars Adam Sandler, Julia Fox, Kevin Garnett, Lakeith Stanfeld, Idina Menzel. And the plot synopsis is a charismatic jeweler makes a high-stakes bet that could lead to the winefall of a lifetime. In a precarious high-wire act, he must balance business, family, and adversaries on all sides in pursuit of the ultimate win. So what would you guys think of Uncut Gems? Dog shit. So bad. Absolutely terrible. (laughs) I think it goes without saying, you know, best movie of the year by, uh, by a thousand miles. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> no. Okay. Let's preface by saying that I loved it, but I think I would be... I would try to be the level-head one and actually have some criticisms because I know that Andrew and Jacob are just going to be... <laughs> no, I have a couple criticisms myself. Um... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I believe it or not, I do have some small things that uh, that I probably would have changed. But otherwise, yeah, it's yeah. I've seen it. Tw- I've seen it twice now, and both times I saw it, like the same things bothered me both times. And then there's a couple things that were better for me on a rewatch, but I think it's still about the same. Like I also loved it to death. Yeah, it was okay. I enjoyed it. Um, I <laughs> no, it was a really good movie. Um, there's a couple things I could have done without. Um, should I? Can I? Can I be the first? Go for it. All right. Um, I didn't like the whole dynamic with his family. I could have done without that. It's an obvious route to choose. I mean, of course, it's an obvious route to choose because it's the most blatantly unnecessary thing in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I. I get it. I understand attacking it. Like it's it's a very important piece to you know his problem is how it affects the people that is affected most by him. But I think it's just like a notch on the scumbag belt. Like yeah, we we kind of know this scuzzy person, and what better way to do that? Than like oh, he cheats on his wife and doesn't really connect with his kids. Like it's it's all obvious stuff. I don't have a problem with it being there. I just I think the worst part that I, I personally would have gotten rid of is the whole dinner scene. Oh, the uh, the Passover? Yeah. Meal? No. So, it's yeah. interesting. Uh, I actually kind of agree with Chris, where it's like two of the weakest scenes in the movie for me are the one where, you know, he's talking to his daughter, you know, like after the play, and she's just basically blowing him off. And then when he's bringing his son to the apartment. It's like, both those things, I can definitely see their intention of like, 
showing how it like affects like character uh stuff you know this family but they just felt like none of those just like really felt gripping like every other scene in the movie did see i like the scene with his son i like him knocking on the grass because he used the bathroom <laughs> then he comes back and the kid's like who's the hot girl of this year he's like don't listen to that cokehead. <laughs> uh, I did love, I did love that cameo by John Amos. Like, it was really funny. Like, uh. Yeah, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the complaints I have also are with the family stuff. Um, and like, but it's like pretty obvious to tell that it was shoehorned in last because I don't know if you guys listened to the uh, A24 interview with Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh yeah, but I believe, I think it was in that one, or maybe it was the Directors Guild interview, where they talked about how Adam Sandler wouldn't do the role unless there was some family stuff in it, because mm-hmm. in his because <laughs> like an Adam Sandler thing to want to yeah for something like he said something like in his eyes he like needed to know why the guy was doing all these sleazy things, and so the Safdie brothers like shoe basically shoehorned this thing in at the last moment so that. Adam Sandler would be fully on board for the role. But it doesn't answer that question. What question? Like, if his question is, why does he do these sleepy things? The stuff with his family doesn't answer that. And I think... And no, I, but I think it gives it gives us as the audience as something. It like, rounds oh, he, he out a little more. He has a family, so he has something to live for. So therefore, like, does he's he got to... He doesn't seem to really care that they exist. Um, I think, though, that... My problem is not necessarily because I think that's a good thing to establish is, you know, like the family and how his like actions kind of ruin it. But the problem is, is I feel like those two particular scenes aren't as effective as like other ones. Because I feel like you get enough of how he's like ruins his connection with the daughter just from the play, you know, him running like backstage and stuff like that. And then that scene during the first Celtics game he bets on when his son's talking about how he's winning the bet. And you see, like, oh, yeah, this is how, like, his toxicity, like, ruins, like, I think, like his family. Him, like, putting off putting his son to bed so that he can watch the Celtics is kind of, like, all you need. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm fine with, like, the family stuff if they devote more time to it. It's just, at that point, you have to elongate the movie a little bit, which I definitely wouldn't have wanted. So if you're going <laughs> to... If you're gonna do anything with it, I'd assume kind of cut a lot of that shit out. Yeah, I think like why, I think it's like such the weakest because the stuff that's at stakes, like or at stake in the other scenes, are like so much more intense. That, like, what's at stake in like those things? Like he loses his family. Okay, that's not as severe as these like mob guys after him. So, like, compared to, like, the intensity levels and the anxiety-inducedness of each scene, like, those just aren't cutting it for me. I feel that. Um, I think that's what I was trying to explain to you the other night, Andrew, when we were, like, texting back and forth quickly about it. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that. I mean, because it's, like, it's so compelling. And it's one of those things, too, where it's, like, I really try not to compare one film to, like, another one in its own sort of, like, uh, my own sort of feelings about this, but it's like really hard after coming off of Good Time, which was so perfectly set up to where like every single thing, it's like, you know, every moment feels like someone's stepping on your throat, except for like maybe like five minutes, just like twice in like the whole film. Whereas this had a lot more moments like 
breathe and kind of relax. And in that, it's just like, See, it felt way longer. I would agree with that. Because everything I read going up to this movie said that it was a two-hour, like, panic attack-inducing experience. And it's just like, I, maybe I, it made my expectations too high. Because, like, that's not at all what I got out of this. And, like, like I think Good Time and Heaven Knows What produce that feeling far more than this does. So I would say that Good Time was, like, a more tense movie, like, all throughout and stuff. But there are definitely times in Uncut Gems where it's, like, I have never felt like that fucking, like, um, tense in a movie. The last 20 minutes, I, I'll give it to them. Like, that is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my I've God. Seen, like, certain things are, like, I don't know, but when you think about it, it just seems, like, insane. Like, when he... Like, when he pawns a certain person's item, like, that to me was, like, oh, shit, what oh, are yeah. you doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, beyond that, it was less of the choices he was making, but the environment around him at a lot of points. Like, when he was sitting at his desk and he had, like, three different phone calls going at once, one person chirping is in, in his ear, and all the while he has somebody, like, stomping around, and all he's trying to do is just get a doctor to give him some information. Like, in that moment, I was just sitting there, like, putting myself in his shoes, and I was like, I would not be able to handle that level of stimulation at once. Part of, like, what makes this, like, so, like, high intensity and high wire is, like, there's... So many, like almost every scene is people just like they're just talking over each other and yelling and talking. And it's yeah. like you can't really focus on one thing. It's just like all back and forth and back and forth. I think that is probably like, the best thing about. But it. what's also amazing is that personally, one of the most nerve wracking, like had me like hunched over, like out of the seat moments. Or it was one of the quietest moments in the entire movie is the auction. Like that, there's no oh one, yeah like talking over each other or anything and it's like a completely like quiet thing but the whole time it's just like knowing the context behind it it's like because like you see that like there's so many points like because i don't know why you're rooting for this guy because he's done nothing but prove that he's an absolute scumbag but you you you're rooting for him for this entire time and then he's he finds a solution out of it and you're like just take it and then, oh, yeah. and then it's ripped out from under him. And then another solution comes by, and you're like, just take it. And then it's ripped out from underneath him. And then it happens again. <laughs> I wouldn't ever say that I was rooting for him. I was more just, like, interested to see, A, what he would get himself into, and yes. B, how he would get out of it. Yeah, like, that that's kind of what I thought. I was never, like, hoping he would get out of something or hoping that he would figure it out. I was just kind of interested in how he would try to do it. I don't know. I mean... To me, he was an interesting guy, and I, I, I get it. I guess maybe like I wasn't rooting for him, but I definitely wanted him to get out of these situations. Like I wanted him to, you know, not be fucked. Yeah. And there it's were multiple like, chances like, for him to do that. The other people, the other people do like just enough worse things that you're kind of like rooting for him, so that those worse things don't happen to him. Well, yeah. Keith Stanfield doesn't do anything bad in this movie. He's the good guy. He sells fake Rolexes. Uh, excuse me, Kevin Garnett is the good guy of this movie. He tries that to steal the uncut gem. He gave it back and paid for it on full square. <laughs> uh, fair and square. But no, um, my thing is, it's like, but I'm just kind of biased because I've always loved movies with like scumbag characters and stuff. And it's like, and so... This is just so much in that like vein. I loved it. I think you know the Sandman just 
completely did such a good job in this role that even though he's being a scumbag, he has that such of that like warm sort of like likability that he's able to like yeah like sell I think, it. I think, I think what it worked. Do you think they chose Kevin Garnett because the truth said no? <laughs> Ooh. Imagine if they chose Rondo instead. They would never choose Rondo. How? Get that out of your head. Ray Allen. Obviously between... They would never choose Ray Allen either. It was obviously... Oh, come on. Ray no, Allen's no, no. got chops. Maybe he they went, to the, he went to the Heat. Yeah. But he would never agree to do it. So, That's true. do you think they wanted Paul Pierce, but he just wouldn't do it? So no. I feel like... Paul Pierce is too ugly. Right. They needed someone who still looked like they could go and play at like the finals. In Kevin, 2012, yeah. did Shaquille O'Neal play for the Celtics? He yeah, played for like a Celtics year. I don't know if it's 2012, but for like a year. That's the case. Why should yeah. Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> it was not in 2012. No way! No way! Shaquille O'Neal's <laughs> ass walks through there and goes, "Hey man, you got some like rings you can put in there for me?" Like, blah, blah, blah. like his. Fucking... I love the Furby chain. Oh my yeah, gosh. Absolutely. Um, one thing about this movie that I love so much is like every like character actor and like side role is perfectly cast. Like one thing that makes the Safdies uh, so brilliant is that they always like they cast so many non-actors or just like people like off the street and like New York and stuff. So for example, the two uh, the two goons who are like constantly like trying to get the money from Howard, those are their, that's their first time, like, acting in movies. And, like, that one dude, like, the one with the raspy voice, is fucking terrifying. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. like, if you had told me that he was, like, you know, been an actor since the 70s, I'd believe it. But it's just, like... The weekend is good. Mm. Like, having The weekend before he was famous and giving him that wig and... That was true. If you had... That's the thing. If you had told me back in... Oh, I don't know, 2013 or so. Hey, in another couple of years, one of your uh, favorite movies is going to be one where Adam Sandler gets in a fist fight of the weekend. I'm like, <laughs> you're bullshitting me. <laughs> no, I think you're right, Andrew. I think everybody in this movie is great. Like, I even love Julia Fox. Oh, she's perfect. Literally, like, she's I, awesome. I think she's gonna be. Uh, I think she's gonna be like a breakout star for sure. She did an amazing job. She's great. Like Idina Menzel is great as like just his cold-hearted wife who like hates his guts. Like she's great. I don't think she's cold-hearted. Yeah, I, I would describe her as cold-hearted. Yeah, I mean, she has well, I mean she's acting. cold. I mean, I, I mean, she. I mean, she means she's cold-hearted towards him. But yeah, you're right. She has her yeah. reasons, but she just plays it so well. I'm hoping. I felt. I felt the iciness from her towards him. It's like, whew. Oh, it was just complete. Like you could feel it. Insane. Like, the tension as soon as she walked in the room with him or he walked in the room with her was just, that was, that was some Oh, shit. yeah, like, it was great. I'm hoping now that she's gotten all that frozen cash, she'll start just doing movies like this. It's like, all right, you made your 10, your $100 billion. Go ahead and only make <laughs> cool art house movies. Like Natalie Portman. Fuck. Uh, no, yeah, I thought she was great. I loved Mike Francesa's uh, fucking cameo was probably my favorite part. I want a whole movie just about Gary because, <laughs> <laughs> like, one of the, one of the things that just sold me on the movie immediately is when 
uh, how he's walking into he's walking into the restaurant and Gary's just like, no, no, turn around. Like, get out of here. And you just know that he's just like been there so many times. Got $24,000. Where'd you get $24,000? Fucking amazing. Uh, yeah, I loved it so much. And uh, I mean, I think we can also go without saying, uh, I'll go on the record saying that it's definitely the Sandman's best performance. Like, yeah, by far. I think so. There were a couple moments where I wasn't a fan of his performance, I'd say. I mean, as a, as a whole, it's incredible, but did you I don't notice know. The, did you notice the accent at the very beginning that he kind of drops as the movie goes on? No. I didn't pick up on it. He definitely, like, the opening lines, he's definitely trying to do some sort of New York, Brooklyn accent. It kind of sounds like his Howie thing he does in Eight Crazy Nights. <laughs> it's like almost that but like dialed back some and then like not very long after he drops it in this house we say bull spit is that what you're talking about yeah but not as high pitched <laughs> I don't know I fucking love it especially like his wardrobe is amazing incredible The I fucking love that leather the slick hair oh yeah this like hair, like the fucking like yellow shirt he's got on with the leather jacket, amazing. The, the next oh, you dude, yeah. Those, sunglasses those were fucking got teeth of his, oh, it's all just it wasn't like the perfect. solid sunglasses either. It was like kind of like rose colored, you know, transparent sunglasses where you could still see his eyes. I'm like, he's Did a fucking scumbag. See, I would imagine the look stayed the same. Like Adam Sandler can really pull off that look. I don't think Jonah Hill could. No. It's, yeah. That, Did you see War Dogs? Thing. It would be a totally different. <laughs> I think it'd be a totally different. Uh, it would different base. Movie. Can you imagine him with those fucking teeth from Wolf of Wall Street in this movie? <laughs> like, like that's what I think. The, that's what I think the movie is, is. I think it's Jonah rehashing his character from Wolf of Wall Street, which I think is one of the greatest fucking performances of the decade by far. Like I love. That so I think Pennyworth is better having it being an older guy too, because then yeah. it's like he's not new to this addiction. It's like he's weathered by it. Yeah, well, it's just like having like an older actor like Sandler just like makes more sense, because then it's like then it's much more easier to believe that he's like a local legend, like a neighborhood guy. You know what I mean, like it's harder yeah. to see Jonah Hill getting greeted by everyone on the street. Yeah, like, Adam Sandler seems like he's been around the block. So I will say, this is Adam Sandler's second greatest performance of his career and the second best performance of the year. I still think this is behind Adam Driver. Interesting. Uh, I I loved Adam Driver in Marriage Story so much. Now, are you saying that you're putting Punch Drunk Love above? I always think of Jack and Jill, but like, fine, we can go Punch Drunk Love if you want to go think, there. I think the Punch Drunk Love performance is better. Does this beat... Willem Dafoe from the Lighthouse for me, and I don't know. I think I think he's better than Willem Dafoe was. Definitely. Um, well, like I don't know. I hate the phrase like acting with a capital A. Like that's what Willem Dafoe is doing. Like it's a it's a performance. Whereas I think this does it, and in that movie it doesn't have to be true to life, but this one is still trying to like accompany that, and I think it's really successful. Mm-hmm. It's just not as good as Adam Driver. Um, well, for me, it's like, yeah, so I mean, I'm definitely giving it to 
I'm definitely going to Sandler as my favorite, but the closest that he comes to it would probably be, um, I don't know, because De Niro and the Irishman, like, what he does, like, towards, like, the end of that, like, I think it's some of his, like, that like best stuff in the last like twenty years, and also well, and I'm also, more impressed with the filmmaking of The Irishman than I am with anyone's particular acting chops in that film. Yeah, you're impressed by bad CGI and the aging techniques. But another, Dude, like I said, get your TV checked. But another, uh, yeah, I thought the de aging uh, wasn't very noticeable. Uh, but another lead performance that I think to read one is being lost. Uh, being lost in the conversation is. Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nope, you're wrong. You were right. The first part. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. It was his best since uh, since Inglorious Bastards. It was his best performance until September when Ad Astra came out. I was going to say, I like Ad Astra's performance more than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. See, Ad Astra is another film that would probably be on my list that I haven't seen. That Parasite and Her Smell have been stuff that I haven't seen, though Zach just let me borrow a Blu-ray, so it'll definitely be on my list. But honestly, I think the lead actor from Parasite is also quite good. He is, but if we're talking about Academy Award nominations, they have to be American, so he's not... Oh, I, thought we, I thought we were just discussing best performances of the year. Well, that's sort of where the conversation typically leads. I still um, don't think it's he's, he's top two. I, I would say he's definitely top five, but I wouldn't say that he's the best. Would I don't even think he's in conversation who, to be the who best. Who are you referring to? Um, the guy from Parasite. You don't think he's in the conversation to be the best? I, I think like, top five. I don't think he's in conversation to be the best, There's though. just, like, such a subtlety to it. Almost like Adam Driver's. There's just, like, such a subtlety of it. Like, I feel like it's easy to, like, overlook. But I don't know. Like, I feel like if he's – if that was – there's something about him that makes it all not just him alone, but there's something about that that makes it click. I would say as a cast, they definitely it's, are. It's the best cast of the year. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no questions asked. But as an individual, I don't know. I mean, to me, I definitely felt like him as an individual. There should have been more there. Like the sense of panic you got from him was definitely a lot to handle. Well, but it's it's hard, it's like to single out any one performance in Parasite because it's. It's very much an ensemble movie. Like it, the, yeah. Their performances really depend upon how they interact with everyone else in the movie. Which is absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, even though the, the overall movie um, doesn't make my top ten or something, uh, Joaquin Phoenix in Joker is definitely like very high up on performance-wise. Because yeah. like, what he did with like such thin material is truly like insane. Well, we can talk beyond about that... We watched it this week. Well, beyond that, like... A character that's been beaten to death, like, incredibly. Like, he's, there's been so many people who have done that role, and then he just made it his own. Like, that's... Y'all want to hear, hear a hot take? Mark Hamill. Um, Jack we Nicholson. love hot takes. We're not counting voice acting. Uh, we'll count Mark Hamill. Hey, this show is nothing but hot takes. <laughs> this is all we do. We spit nonsense. Here's a, here's a hot take. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix did better than Heath Ledger. I can agree with that. All right. I can't black it. I can't back it. I'm sorry. I respect it's so it. Hard. It's just so it. hard because, like, we get we get two hours of Joaquin Phoenix, but what, maybe 40 minutes of Heath Ledger? I think if, if we get any more Heath Ledger in Dark Knight, his, care, his uh, performance is diluted. 
and it's not as impressive. If we get a standalone Heath Ledger Joker movie, it's not as impressive as a standalone um, Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. I'm sorry, but like Heath Ledger is like not even up to the caliber as Joaquin Phoenix. Like uh, that's what I, uh, he's like. I mean, and Heath Ledger is great. Like that performance in Batman is wonderful. Uh, Brokeback Mountain is fucking great. Still like he's he does a really good genre thing, but like Joaquin Phoenix just takes everything to like a whole new level where it's just like like subtle things like i think about so much how in joker how cheesy and just like um college screenwriter level it is when he shoots uh murray franklin like that like you know like that line of the whatever it is it's like oh what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner in a society blah blah and then shoots him that's so cheesy and like bad that's what i said but oh, it makes it so like you believe it, and it's like it, and it feels in a sense because Joaquin Phoenix takes such shitty line and delivers it flawlessly. I would oh, even say, oh, you're saying line. it's a good thing. Are you saying it's a good thing? I'm saying that it's a testament to Joaquin Phoenix's skills as an actor that he takes something like atrociously written and still makes it impactful. I would, I'd say that line is very true to character. If, if anyone else besides Joaquin Phoenix is in Joker, it's not a good It's movie. a fucking yeah, track. I, I could I, agree with you there. I'd like to see Adam Driver be the Except Joker. maybe like John Hamm. That's an interesting John Hamm, huh? Yeah. You want to hear another hot take? Fuck John Hamm. <laughs> <laughs> That's craziness. You need, to, you need to be a Clockwork Orange-style force to watch Mad Men again. <laughs> I've never seen an episode of Mad Men. What about, like, Kevin Bacon as the Joker? What the fuck makes you think Kevin Bacon would be a good Joker? <laughs> Hollow Man. That's what makes me think it. No, he's... Let's get another Hollow Man. He doesn't need to be Joker. Oh, okay. Fair Robert enough. Pattinson as Batman in the jo- and the Joker in the same movie. There you go. <laughs> now we're thinking outside the box. You're getting real outside the box. I'm liking this. Um... But no arguments, yeah. Adam Sandler. This is definitely top three performances of the year, easily. Let's get mm-hmm. back. So he said if he doesn't win the Oscar, he's going to make the worst movie ever on Wait, did he say win or get nominated? He said win. He has yeah. to win. <laughs> okay. So I think it's pretty clear that we're going to get the worst movie ever. I don't think he's going to win right. or I'm, even be nominated. I'm hoping that this results in, like, the change though because you know can you think about it yeah this is like the you know switch up for him but last year he did the Meyerowitz stories and like so i don't think it's like necessarily like that dramatic of a thing do you think this could get a directing nod or like original screenplay nod original screenplay i think for sure maybe a best actor i don't think it's getting best picture i don't think best picture but I could see something maybe even in, like, editing or, like, sound mixing. Yeah, yeah, it's probably going to get, like, a sound mixing. Nomination. Oh, first, like, what do you guys think of the score? I liked the score from Good Time better. Like, I would agree. Yeah. But I did I did like it. I just wish it was a little more, like, frantic and matching that energy. Sort of, like, Good Time was, where this was just, like, a lot more subdued, honestly. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't honestly remember the score from Good Time. Anything but, that I, any piece of the score that I remembered from this movie is because it sounded like it was lifted out of It Follows. 
Or it sounded like, oh, really? I didn't quite get that. But it sounded like very hypnotic. Yeah. And I thought yeah. it worked. I thought it worked pretty well. Like, I love, like, the scenes of, like, it going through, like, what, what maybe going through, like, gems might look like. And you had that score. Like, I thought that was great. There were multiple shots in this movie I thought was really cool. Like, the scene where he's uh, getting out of the club and then he's just walking home against that backdrop that's kind of lit up. Yeah. That's it up to me. Or the can like all like the flares and the lights and stuff. Yeah, it was really interesting seeing um, uh, yeah, then using the different cinematographer than uh than the one they used on the last two films. Um, yeah, no, I loved the way like this photographed and um, you can tell like that they're from and live in New York because there's not all like. It's not like someone just making a movie in New York who puts all the standard shots in, New like, York in there. It's not like a wide panning shot like of the never, Statue of Liberty you here. You never get like wide, very typical New York looking things. Yeah. It's well, they also cool. never use wide angle lenses like ever. Like almost everything is like crazy telephoto, like close up. I think it's such an interesting oh, visual style. That close up in the car when they when he's getting taken, I was just like. Shit. And like, shit. when he's in the closet at his girlfriend's house, and it's literally just like, just like here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, at his phone. Yeah. Shit. Julia Fox is just so fucking good, and like every scene. I think maybe the only wide angle they use is when they're shooting like down into their apartment, like when Julia Fox is about is like climbing on top of them. Mm-hmm. That yep. might be it. Like not much. Uh, there is well. There's also that overhead shot of Howard walking into the jewels, the jewel store that he pawns uh, the Celtics ring at. Oh, that's true, and it's also in the night. They repeat that in the nightclub too. But for the most part, like they're using crazy telephoto lenses. But like shit, that's three shots out of <laughs> two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. There's at least twelve shots in the movie. <laughs> at least twelve. <laughs> yeah. So there, so there's one thing about this movie and their <laughs> whole filmography that I find like most compelling about their stuff. And this is about to be like major spoilers. So if you're listening, you might want to no. skip until after this. But what the Safdie brothers do that I find so amazing is before that they, before you can we at least talk spoilers because like. There's a piece of the ending that I really don't like. Okay. Yeah, and I'm about to directly talk about the ending. And Perfect. Stuff, so. So, let's just, so let's just agree right now that from here on out, spoiler conversation. Exactly. So okay. let me spoiler thing. Three, okay. two. It's spoiled. Wait, but hold up. Before, before we talk spoilers, do you want to give a star rating and then just talk spoilers and finish up the conversation? Uh, Sure. Um, I'm giving, I'm giving five out of five. By far. You can give I, it. You can give two. You can give a six on the show, Andrew, if you'd like. I give a six. Yeah, for sure. Like it, one hundred percent is just like surpassed all expectations. Zach, I'm going. Oh man, I don't want to do it. He's gonna give four. It's like a four point seven five. Uh, oh fuck you, dude! Like, you blagged on me for <laughs> hard for so long. It's like. It's like so close. It's it's almost there, but it just it's just not quite. Shameful. Right. 4.75. <laughs> so hard. 4.5. That's what I pull out of that. Um, I'm going to six. Woo! Yeah, I'm going six out of five. That was a really good movie. So hot was, damn. Your, 
No, 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 it's not. I've made corrections to my <laughs> okay? Zach, get over this. Uh, I'm going five. It's easy. Easy five. So your third favorite movie of the year. Perfect. My third favorite? No, Jacob's third favorite. He's given two sixes. Oh, that's right. Not as good as The Beach Bomb, I would imagine. <laughs> Do you regret giving The Beach Bomb a six out of five? I know we talked about this before, but having seen Uncut Gems. This is, this is probably okay. the last movie that would have been considered for one, so yeah. now you can openly say if you've regretted it or not. I will say there was not a time when I thought six out of five. I'll be honest. All right. So, but Chris, to answer your question, did I regret it? Yeah. I regret it only in that I don't have a six to give. But I think part of the six out of five, and I think I've said this before, I part of the six out of five for me is the theatrical experience of a movie for the first time. My so... Guess was amazing for this film. So, <laughs> for, so for the beach bomb, like I just saw it like in a packed theater with other people who also found it funny and it just made for a really good time. So when I walked out of that, like I definitely like, it was definitely a great experience for me. And I think that's sometimes that's just part of it. Alright, alright. That, that it makes sense. I just wanted to know it's also kind of like how Interstellar isn't that amazing of a movie, but when I was like baked on edibles and watched that for the first time, like <laughs> it was insane. Me, like, I could never do that. Let's just say the the whole when we get up to KG, it's a six out of five material. But once he goes home, that's when it lost. That's when it dropped out of it. Yeah. I am willing to forgive all that just because everything else is so incredible in what See, they do. For me, to give it a six, there can't be anything that I have to forgive about it. There can't be anything that, that where I'm like, okay, except for this part. It's like, no, 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 no. Beginning that's fair. End, that's fair. In Sitting Still and Her Smell, there's not a single thing I would change about either of those movies. Here's where I disagree. I don't have a problem with the family dynamic being there, I have a problem with that they didn't dedicate more time to it. That's the only, only one of the the only issue I have with the movie. And even then, it's something I am completely fine without, just because of how like, like I can say this: I saw this movie in a packed theater. I was three rows back from the front, so I was looking up the entire time. I was gripping my seat and at, at a majority of moments, and I was just completely enthralled all sense of time was gone and when i have that experience that's a six out of five see i'm fine with forgiving things and still giving it a five that's i can i can do that sure mm. that's no problem uh the reason i gave it a 4.75 we actually haven't even get in, gotten into i would say what is my number one criticism of the movie all right well let's just get into it the spoilers i'm are. not done yet oh sorry sorry <laughs> a bigger build up in this but if there, there is one movie left this year that I gained access to today that I would like to see, which I might regret giving my six out of five to an elephant sitting still. Cool. You talked so high of that movie when you first saw it. I still think it's amazing. It's four hours long, so I'm not going to rewatch it. But I, <laughs> I, I want to see it, but it's a, that's a daunting runtime. Sure. That movie I, is A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, that's yeah exactly, and that's one like, I just don't think I'm gonna see it, unfortunately. I think I'm gonna watch it tomorrow. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Uh, 
So let's move on to spoilers. Zach. We'll take this off air, Zach. For legal reasons. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys found a showing of a, a lady on fire or whatever. Good, good for you guys. I think technically, wink, wink. It doesn't open in the United States till 2020. Oh, okay. Are you sure? I think it's playing it. I think it's playing in New York, Los Angeles right now. It doesn't technically. I, I'm not sure if that counts. Like, yeah. I don't know. Every like release date I've seen for it is 2020. It's getting a main release. You no, know, USA release date December 6, 2019. Oh, I was yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. I will never hear that sentence come out of Zach's mouth ever again. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So what I so what I've noticed between watching this and then some of the other Seth the Brother films is that they do something, and this is going full on spoilers. So, so they manage to do this thing that I find so incredible, where they'll have heart wrenching moments that are like put in. A moment of the film that's so like jam-packed and like going and going 100 miles per hour that you can't like process it until afterwards and so for example this happened in good time during like the crazy fucking credit sequence after um uh you know after he's put after nick's put into it gets arrested is in jail and you have that like one scene where he's on like the jail phone with his grandmother and he's just like screaming at her being like you don't love me connie loves me like and just like completely just going off on his grandmother and you realize how like much he's been exploited by constantine and, and everything like this and how fucked up that is in uncut gems i noticed it it was like a perfect moment that i didn't realize so when at the very fucking end when the bet like pays off like when howard like when like uh the celtics win and how he's like that only pays off there's this amazing shot of arno where he just like where he realizes and he just kind of like smiles and he's just like oh man it's amazing like howard actually pulled this off like that's like that's great and you just like had this feeling of like wow this dude actually actually did it it's amazing and then 30 seconds later he just gets shot in the fucking face. And then it's just like, of course, like Howard's not going to win. And then Arno gets shot too. And you just realize that it's like, everything was so close to like going perfect for everyone, like everything. And it just all gets like destroyed. And then when I think about that, like that moment of showing like Arno just like smile and reveal it uh, relieved. It's just like that much more crushing. Cause it's just like, there is no, there is no way either of them are going to win out. Like from the, it was all like rigged, like completely, just from like their actions and own like shortcomings. Arno, and that is my issue with the film. Oh, it's they do it consistently, like killing the main character for what almost feels like shock value. I was completely blown away. Nah, and man, they, going out how you live. I. In this movie, and in good time, and I think it's deserved, and heaven knows what, but, like, in those two, in this, and in good time, it's just, like, I don't buy it. I'm not buying it. You don't buy the constant frustration that's been built up by that guy the entire time, and he's been locked in a, a, a compact room for probably, what was, three hours, just, you know, stewing in his own sweat, 
with like, two other dudes. Like, like that was Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. The whole and while West. they're watching, you know, uh, what was it like a hundred thousand dollars of their money possibly be pissed and the, away? And the whole movie has shown, like from the very beginning, that this dude is like, had, is just like incredibly violent and just like is all overall like you know short-sighted to the point of just like but, oh yeah plus this is like he, he every single one of these per- people deserves to be punched in the face but it seems like he's the only one besides adam sandler's character that actually has anything wrong happen to him like he gets bit he, he gets pushed against the wall it, it like so seems as though this is nothing new to adam sandler's character so why is this the moment where someone's like, I'm done with this guy? Like, it seems like there's been a hundred other moments before this where they justifiably could have killed him. So why right now? He literally is just about to give you all of your money back and then some. So why at this moment in time is this the point where you well, decide? Because okay, well, he has off, his money. Because he has okay, well, his money off, and he throws it off away, basically. Okay, well, first off, I think it all comes back to the movie being about people being out of their league. So it also comes down to Arno being out of his league. Because if you think about it, if you think about his story, he loans Howie a hundred thousand dollars with the anticipation he's going to be paid back, and it goes on for we don't know how long he goes without getting paid That's back. Arno's problem, because based on this character, I would assume Adam Sandler never pays anyone back. Right, but like Arno, but like Arno wants to be paid back, right? But he's the only one that gets fed up with it and decides to hire, basically like like these tough guys. But, like, even Arno doesn't know what he's getting involved in because, cause like, as Andrew said, like, I think that scene where he smiles is revelatory to the fact that all he really wanted was he just wanted his money back. And he didn't know how to do it. He didn't know how to go on anymore. So he got these heavies to help him out. So Arno gets what he wants. Adam Stanley gets what he wants. But the whole time, those tough guys, they never got what they wanted. So I think that's why they kind of snap at the end. And then it's also kind of foreshadowed in the beginning when KG's bodyguards rough him up and he says, I'm going to kill you. And I think it's like, and yeah, to uh, Jacob's point, it's like, because one of the things that I love the most about crime movies and like why I think it's such a fascinating genre and you can like tie it back to noir films and stuff, it's always about someone who is incapable of understanding like like the true situation of like you know of the crime that of the crime or the score they're trying to get and people who end up falling and end up falling victim to like these things about their circumstances like you can think in no country for old men with like uh with you know Llewellyn thinking that he can get away with uh the cash or um you know in the killing or reservoir dogs like and people think they'd be able to this. And this is one of those things where it's like Arno's character thinking that it's like, oh, I can involve these like people who will like hurt people for money. And then like, I can just get my money back. And it's like, that's clearly never going to happen. Like that's going to like, there, like it's an inevitability to it. Like in the same way that it's completely inevitable that, you know, no matter how many, like, hits Howard makes, he's going to fucking lose it all, like, anyways. And so even with him, like, winning, like, the biggest hit, because even if, because even if he didn't get shot and he just gives Arno, like, the 100K, the other, like, 900,000 
is just going to get doubled down on and fucking lost with him. Like that's that's almost why it doesn't seem like you would kill him because you know he's going to just fuck it all up again. Like it's almost like too good for him. Like killing him is almost doing exactly what should be done, but letting him live out a miserable existence where he's constantly just getting it and losing it, getting it and losing it almost seems like a greater punishment. And it seems like that is something someone in that position would understand. But also they had the guys at the casino. So it could also be that they thought like, Oh, I'm done dealing with this bullshit. Why get, you know, why get a hundred grand when, you know, we can take the whole million from her. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, just how do you end a movie with him winning? And then continuing to do his own thing. Like, how do you end that movie? You don't end it with him winning. That's the thing. You end it with him placing a bet for $900,000 on game one of the NBA Finals. Oh, yeah. well, it just doesn't feel satisfactory. I Because I, I think it comes back to, like, these... Like, again, I think it comes back to important being, like, how everybody is out of their element. Not just Howard. But everybody in the movie is out of their element, aside from the two heavies that are no hires. But also, like, throughout the entire movie, he's constantly sleezing his way out of situations, and it just seems like... Yeah, it caught up with him. Yeah. No, it didn't. Yeah, totally. Because he wins. Like, it would cut... If, like, if he did not win that bet and they shot him, I don't have an issue with it. But because he wins, like, it doesn't seem like he... That's the thing. Like he pushed, he won, he pushed he won the own game. Ultimately, he their game. No, ultimately he pushed the buttons of the wrong person. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Like Arno's his family, so really nothing's gonna happen from him. Yeah. Uh, his wife divorces him. Okay. His girlfriend loses him. Okay. Um, all these guys who want to collect money from him, they're pushovers. They're not gonna do anything. So the only person he's truly pushed the wrong buttons for. Are these like guys who we assume have violent past? That's why they were hired by Arno. But they didn't even do. He didn't even do anything to these guys. They were. Just, they're just hired. Yeah, but he like locked them in a room. But so to these guys who are hot tempered, he pushed. Like, he bit it. him. Like, he but bit like, him. They have absolutely no motivation to want to kill him, other than like what he's done. Like locked yeah. him in a room. Like by the same point at this point, there because you think about it. Because like, you think about like type of person, but like, yeah who is like if you think of the type of person who's gonna like hurt people for money like i don't think they're the most patient understanding of people yeah i mean do you think about like i understand that job because because like this isn't fucking like because it isn't like mob people or something because like if you're not in the mob you don't get to just hire them freelance it's probably like if you think about the type of person (laughs) who will take like like assuming that he gets because uh, I would assume that they probably both get like 10% of it or something. You know what I mean? Like they probably get like 10 grand. If you think of the type of person who's going to go and like, you know, extort and like hurt someone for money there, it's not also infeasible that they'll just be like over, you know, that they'd get fed up to a point like, all right, we'll just kill him and steal all the jewelry. Cause like, that's a score anyways. Cause... Also, do you know how long a playoff basketball game is? It's like three hours or more. Yeah, but it's an exciting game. Well, you think yeah, these guys are enjoying the, being in that room? Just like games. You think they don't give a fuck about basketball, yeah, Zach? Yeah, but it's anxiety-inducing because they're trapped in a room with their money on the line. Like, you think these guys uh, are sitting there just it's like not their money? Like, it's, they it's they, they the probably person, 
of but I'm getting they were hired. Like, but also, ultimately, these guys have absolutely no stake in what's going on, other than that they were hired. But we also, also, this we guy. also, we also don't know that Arno wasn't like, hey, give me back my hundred grand and I'll give you twenty thousand. I'll give you thirty thousand. Like, there's no, we don't know that. But also, it's like, um, what is, like, what is he gonna say? It's also, it's also like they could have just at that point, like. Realize that it's like, all right, we can whatever like their their score was, it could it could just be like, oh, we can get that amount of jewelry. Plus, like they had just seen, like they would have had to come to the realization that even with him winning, it's like this dude's never gonna pay because he had all of the money there at first. Like he had the entire much to pay him back, like in his hand, in his possession, and all of it. And Howard just goes and doubles down. So like they like from their perspective, it could just be like, all right. We're never getting paid for this. Let's cut our losses. Kill this fuck who just like imprisoned us for three hours, and then like go off of this jewelry. That's true. From their point of view, they're already thinking. They could be thinking, this guy literally had one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in his in his hand to pay him back, and he blew it. This guy's now got one point two million dollars in his hands. What the fuck's he gonna do with that now? That's not their problem. Like, who cares? But if they they don't. But the thing is, like, I'm assuming they're they're just hired. They're just but I'm hired assuming people. they don't get paid until Arno gets paid. Exactly, that's the thing. And then like, and they're also they're also petty criminals who like fuck. They're getting ten thousand dollars is not a petty criminal. That's pretty good. <laughs> Someone it's a pretty who, good rate. Okay, but I mean, Arnie Arno's get Arno's getting like what a hundred thousand dollars, and they're getting ten grand. Like that's by comparison. Okay, but. If you, but if you do that, like if you're, like if you're the type of person who someone says, "Hey, I, my relative owes me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll give you ten grand to go and get it from him, like using violent force." Then there is ultimately something like fundamentally wrong, and so it's like it makes sense <laughs> that the type of person who would do that. And like, and has such violent tendencies would probably think of a, you know, would probably take something as you know, would find being you know like trapped in trapped in that room egregious enough to be like, all right, I'm gonna kill this person and just like take all the jewelry. I mean, because if you think about it, it's like these aren't fucking you know the Italian job like people this is like the safety brothers deal with like shithead criminals like (laughs) and that's what makes it fascinating it's it's not people that are going to make like the right decisions but people whose own like egos and self-interest and like compulsions cause them to make bad decisions also this might be the worst people adam sanders had to deal with or howard's had to deal with yeah definitely and also for good time uh, when uh, Buddy Dress's character fall, falls off, that's perfect because he's already like demonstrated being like the dumbest fucking dude alive, and so like it's like so perfect that like he thinks that he can like just like crawl like across like across that divider from like the windows to like get out of it, and so that's a perfect moment. And I'm gonna have you rescind uh, what you said about that being pointless for shock value. I won't veto <laughs> every every frame of that movie is perfect 
Uh, so one of the few, so one of the few things about Uncut Gems that I kind of wish I would change is I wish we had more Eric Bogosian. Like, because like Arno is like great. I loved, I loved so much that they're showing him as like being sort of like conflicted and you know having troubles processing the level of violence that the heavies were doing. But I just wish there was a little bit more so we could get that because i thought that was really compelling i have the same issue with uncut gems that i have with good time which is that the beginning is amazing the ending is amazing but there are chunks in the middle that could go nope well at least not for a good time for uh uncut gems probably cut a little bit but it's not even like a runtime thing like i don't mind the length of the movie it just doesn't seem like all of it needs to be there you know what? i tell you what, there is actually you know because i've thought this over i will concede that there is one single scene in Good Time that I would remove, and that is when they're going into adventure, uh, when they're going to, like, adventure time, like the, like, the theme park, whatever, the scene where, like, they put, like, the floor mat over the fence, and then they argue about, like, lifting each other, like, up over the fence. I thought that was, like, the only thing that was, like, this kind of, like, extraneous. I mean, I guess they used something to set up how they got into the park, but I felt like that was, like, the only thing throughout a perfect film that I was like, eh, this is... Honestly, given, you know, Heaven Knows What, and which I think is still their best film. And it's probably second for me. Like, a little bit more than Uncut Gems, probably. Given that and Good Time, like, I'm honestly anticipating, like, this to be a bit more, like, batshit crazy. Because, <laughs> like, there's some crazy shit in those two movies. And this one's didn't really have this. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but like it's kind of like what I was expecting. Like heaven knows what literally opens with the main girl like slitting her wrist to prove to like to her boyfriend that she loves him. Like it's fucking crazy. And then there's the whole drug sequence in Good Time, and like just the robbery is is insane. But like I feel like you can definitely feel the presence of Scott Rudin. And this, there's there's like, not much that matches like that intensity in Uncut Gems that there is in those two moments. While it definitely keeps like the same energy of their older stuff, you can definitely and I definitely feel like it was the same with like working with you know, not if not a major studio, they obviously have like a major studio producer and like more stuff. Yeah, I honestly like, thought like more they were getting more money, they might try something a bit crazier. Yeah. But they didn't. Yeah, it feels like they're probably like, all right, we need this to be a little bit more structured. It, it seems like a movie that had to make money. So, like, they they gave them a little bit more, but that also came with, like, since we're giving you more, it has to make more. Which they're succeeding at, by the way. Yeah, but also it's like, I mean, come on. You can, like, sure it is. The, like, the last 20 minutes comes very, very close. But it does not quite match like the intensity and heaven knows what. I, I sense like intensity in character, not intensity in moment. Adam Sandler's uh, absolute laser focus and just what seems to be pure ecstasy of making that bet—that was just straight up intense yeah. to me. He, him, like... he never seems tense. Like, he always seems like he's exactly in his element. I mean, that's exactly where he wants to be. So you know, I don't think he's feeling much. You know intense uh, stress in that moment like that's i almost it's almost kind of why i like that he shot in the face at the end because it's absolutely 100 not what he thinks is going to happen no gosh no it's like like ever like i don't ever think throughout that movie he thinks that he'll actually be killed for not giving him his money 
I think that's why it's so anxiety inducing. Because I'm thinking as the viewer, like, you should be stressed out about this man. And the fact that he's not stresses me out more. I mean, I, I got that he was seasoned at this. Like, he definitely had a lot of experience doing this shit day in and day out. Which but, I was um, maybe, like, skeptical as to why he had so many friends. But beyond that, not much. He doesn't have any friends. He's got friends. Like Keith Stanfield just works for him. Yeah, but I'm talking about, like, professional connections, I guess, then. How like, does he have... Because he keeps keeping the money. That's how he has them. Well, beyond that, like, people he can go to and, like, like, like talk think, chains to or, like, sure, like fake think about, Rolexes. Think about it from the pawn shop people. Like, if Adam Sandler's not good in his word, guess what? They have a Boston Celtics championship ring that they can out pawn. Like, to them, they don't yeah. care if he's good on his word or not. Um, I guess so. One One other complaint about the movie is, like, how on earth did they not have a part for Buddy Duress? Like, I was so upset when I, like, watched it. I was like, he's not in it at all. Like, come on. Like, they could have easily, like, the like his assistant like person who quits, yep. like, that easily could have been him. Or just, like, anyone. But no, not in the film at all. Like, that was inexcusable. Because he was... 4.75. <laughs> I mean, honestly, because like he was so perfect in heaven knows what and good time. It's just like, where is he? He better be one of the leads in their next. I movie. was I was surprised not to see uh, Benny in the movie. Benny oh, right. I thought he would give himself like a small role. Does he refer to himself as Benny? Just out of curiosity. And that's how he credits himself on the movie. Yeah. Right. Also credited as an editor, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. What's also interesting is that. You know, he also, like, works the boom mic on all those, like, productions. It's so, like, strange. Like, I was listening to... Because after I saw Uncut Gems, I went and listened to all the podcasts he's on and stuff. And he, like, somehow this one, he had to join the union so that he could, like, use the boom mic on, like, stuff. And I think that's just, that's like, ridiculous, so like, to be... Just, I like, think, like, they came from literally, they shot heaven knows what, like, undercover on the streets in New York. And now they have to be in a union... Just to use a boom mic. But they shot heaven, like the main girl in heaven knows what is an actual heroin addict. Or was. They told her story. Yeah. And it's so, like kind like, of like a docufiction. So, like, so. it's. They literally shot undercover on the streets of telling anyone what they were doing. They didn't have to get permits. They just did it. And now they have to, like, ask permission to use a boom mic on their own film. <laughs> I mean, that's so, a big shift. so there's no one that could come out and be like, hey, I noticed you guys made this movie, but I don't see any permits filed for it. What's up with that? Is I don't think that's the case. They probably they would have had to have gotten releases for like the people in there, but I think other than that, it wouldn't be a problem. I mean, it's certain it's, it's probably one of the reasons they chose the shot so tight on bases, because the people they did have releases for, they could just, like the actual actors in the movie... They could just shoot tight on their face and worry about getting people walking by. Yeah. Which is, which is something that Harmony Corinne talks a lot about with um, like Spring Breakers, because they just shot that in, during actual Spring Break. And he said he had to have one of his assistants like track all those people down and get them to sign. Oh, that would have been a pain forms. in the ass. Right. Definitely. Shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, if it's interesting. So if we're talking about rankings of their films I've seen so far, and the only 
one of their movies I haven't seen is Lenny Cook, their basketball documentary. But I would say that it would probably go Good Time, Heaven Knows What, Uncut Gems, and then Daddy Long Legs. Do you, which one did you watch last week, Jayden? The Pleasure of Being Robbed. Yeah, that's just not very good. Like I, like <laughs> yeah, I, it's not good at all. I think they're like probably the best. I can't like, wait to watch it, and it's gonna be my favorite one. Yeah, I think they're probably like, the <laughs> best would, living filmmakers after like PTA, say. But like, no, their first one was not very good. Daddy Longlegs is perfect though, and so is Heaven Knows What. I have not seen Daddy Longlegs or Heaven Knows What. Uh, I'm, or Lenny Cook. I'm fairly certain that Daddy Longlegs is on the Criterion channel now. It is. I just haven't watched it yet. It's great. It's um, it's very uh, John Cassavetes-esque. Like, it, that, it feels so much like one of his films. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a John Cassavetes film. Ooh, so, I don't even think I could tell you what films he's directed. I know there's like five of them, right? He's done... I, I think he's on he's either on five or maybe it's like seven. So top of the list that you should that you need to put need to watch is A Woman Under the Influence. So that's his most famous and uh, arguably his masterpiece. However, my favorite of his is this film called The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. And there are two cuts of this film. There's the original uh, seventy four uh, director's cut and then there's the 76 uh, theatrical cut and so one of them is like two and a half hours long and the other one is like two hours long the original like 74 uh, two and a half hour cut is the superior one for me because it's like so this film is like it's this crime movie that just does not care at all about just taking its time and moseying around with like the details of like, uh, you know, just like the conversations between characters and stuff. Like it's like it's a like it's a slow burn thriller that just doesn't follow any of the rules about it whatsoever. Hmm. It's okay, I'll, I'll send you a list because he is one of my favorites and truly one of the greatest directors of all time. And uh, the staff do take like. Uh, he, like take huge influence from so does you know Alex Ross Perry um trying to think who else has huge I mean Paul Thomas Anderson for sure has like a huge influence because his because I've always felt that his films are like if you combined Cassavetes with Spielberg like it's just like the most like honest depiction of human relationships but you know just giant films and stuff spielberg has an honest portrayal of human emotion no i was saying that like paul thomas sanderson and i mean and to an extent yes he does by saying paul thomas sanderson feels like a mix of cassavetti's like you know most honest portrayal of human emotions but with spielberg's like bravado you know oh, I, I see mean? okay yeah totally uh, anybody else have anything to say about Uncut Gems before we move on? Um, I'm tapped. I loved it. That's all. Yeah. I can't, uh, seen it twice. I kind of already want to see it a third time. Right. I don't know if I'll see it, like, as many times as I saw it good time, because I've seen it probably 10 or 11 times, but, um, I'll probably see it, like, 
one more time before the end of the year for sure. I hope Uncut Gems gets a 4K release. Yes, yeah, same. I'm I'm probably gonna wait for it to come out on DVD or not not DVD because I'll get shit on. But I'll probably wait for it to come out on like Blu-ray or something, and then sit down in a dark room and then just feast in the comfort of my own home. Yeah, they're making a 35 millimeter print, so I'm hoping that they do some uh, showing. Yeah. Mm. Chris, you you'd actually buy this? I'd buy this. There's uh, any movie that's six out of five, I'd buy. It's just about whether I do or not. Damn. Okay. Mm. Oh, you guys want to talk about some other things that we've been watching then? Yeah, for sure. Oh, sure. Chris, I know you watched uh, The Rise of Skywalker. I did watch The Rise of Skywalker. I'll be interested to talk about that with you. Um, I think I know your thoughts. I think I know your thoughts on it. You may be surprised. Really? Do you want to talk about it right now? Sure. It was dog shit. You hated it? It was a bad movie, dude. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, no, I was not a fan of this movie at all. You know my, you know my least favorite part of this movie, and um, spoiler shit coming out. Um, shit coming out. Why, why was there a kissing scene? Why, <laughs> between Ray and uh, Kylo Ren? I don't, I don't want to. Andrew, have you seen it? I haven't, but I'm not going to. Like, I okay. just, I've never. Star Wars has never been, like, a thing for me. I'm much more an Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. Like, you, don't cool. care, you don't care if I spoil it? Not at all. Zach, do you care? I am in the same boat. I hate Indiana Jones, but I'm also not going to. <laughs> <laughs> he hates anything fun, though, so. Um. Okay, then. I'll say, okay, so spoilers for Rise of Skywalker. If you haven't seen it, check the show notes. Jump ahead. I don't understand why Rey needs to be a Palpatine. Like, oh, that's who her dad is. Yeah, her grandfather. No, that's, that's who her grandfather is. I didn't like that they just shoved Palpatine in the third movie. But, like, it's so completely unnecessary. And, like, so this, unnecessary. this is what happens when, like, you don't have a plan. And you just, that the whole thing is going to be like, all right, we'll see what the person makes, and then we'll try to build the story from there. You it's are just... wrong, sir. This is what happens when... Someone does something somewhat interesting with a Star Wars movie, and you have to try to correct that because you made fans mad. Yeah, I actually. What they do that was interesting because it felt like like <laughs> the Last Jedi like is not like any other Star Wars movie. It tries right. something yeah. different. Like what I was saying is the reason that that it's even different though than any of them is because there wasn't a plan. It was simply let's get some filmmakers in here. We'll let them do their thing. And somehow we'll connect them all. And I, this is what happens. I personally think the Ryan Johnson trilogy could be good. Mm. If they've actually let him do it. <sighs> it was just like the moment I saw lightning come out of Ray's hand. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, are you shitting like, me right here? And, like, they, they like, make it, like, literal that he has, like, like that essentially he has the power of Darth Plagueis. Yeah. But, like, I thought it was so much more interesting for that to just have been a myth. And, like, that's what Palpatine used to get Vader to the dark side. Like, it was never true. That's just what he told him. Like, that seems yeah. so much more interesting to me than, like, it actually being a thing. I mean, I'm okay if Palpatine's alive. 
Not gonna lie. I have no... explain how he's alive. Yes, he's just been in the shadows the entire time in this distant planet that you can't... That's unchartable. Unless you have this, like, Wayfinder thing. And only a Sith... And only a Sith can find it by having this Wayfinder. Which, J.J. Abrams is fucking obsessed with maps. J.J. Abrams, get over maps, dude. Uh, I think JJ Abrams is into Call of Duty, dude. They love maps. They do. They do love maps. He's probably playing at this exact moment. JJ, get over it. Jar Jar Abrams, what are you doing? Probably oh, gets wrecked by twelve year olds too. I'm getting destroyed today. I was about to say. I feel like yeah. But this movie, the, this movie is literally like ninety-seven percent plot. It's insane. It's so dumb. It's fancy. Okay, you want to? Okay, let's. Com- Let's compare Uncut Gems and Rise of Skywalker. They're very similar. Both, <laughs> both movies involve characters wanting something, and you put something in their way to, like, to basically prevent them from getting that. Okay. Uncut Gems that's not, makes. That's how we're comparing them. Let's compare Uncut Gems to uh, the color purple. Okay, sure. So <laughs> you're ready. Just describe every movie. Ever made. Okay, sure. Screenwriting 101, right? Uncut <laughs> Gems, like, takes something, puts things in his way that feels like that's what the character could actually run into based off their own, uh, based off their own personality traits, characteristics, what have you. Rise of Skywalker does not feel like that at all. Like, it feels very arbitrary, all of the things that happen to them and the challenges they run into. <laughs> There was not really anything interesting in this movie. It just felt like, you know, they were just like, you know what? Fuck it. We've come this far. Let's just make another dog shit. Let's just yeah, go extra like, dog shit on this one. I don't know. It's just... It's, it's gonna... It'll get there. It's at $500 million right now. It'll get there. What was the... One of you made, like, a bold prediction for this that it would break like 2.2 billion or something i said it would make no 1.5 i think i was at like 1.6 or 7 i'd have to go back and listen to last week i put 1.3 i think i said it would make out of all three of them yeah it was just it'll make no it'll make more than last jedi i don't think so easily dude people hated last jedi they're gonna go see this in support i think they'll see this one just because it's the last one of the trilogy yeah, and they're going to be like, fuck Ryan Johnson. This movie is amazing. I'm going to go see it again. It I can't so wait dumb. for 30 years from now when people realize that The Last Jedi is like almost as good as Phantom Menace and like one of the best Star Wars movies. That day may come. I don't think so. People at first would have to recognize that Phantom Menace is the best Star Wars movie. <laughs> and then they can begin to accept that Rogue One is the second best. I mean... Last Jedi. How many years has it been Good since it came out? 20. 20? If they haven't realized it by this Actually, point. it came out the year I was born, so 23. Is it ever going to come to a point to where people realize that? It's 19. Phantom Menace is 1999. Oh, 20? Give it 10 years. So you think 30 is the big mark. 20, 20 is not enough. Give it 30, another, though. Another Wait, you were born in 1999. It was six. I was going to say, I was like, like, that can't be true. Let's wait for, like, Mandalorian to hit season six and people get tired of that. And then another mediocre Star Wars trilogy. And then people will start being like, you know what? 
I miss Phantom Mass. How many Star Wars have been confirmed going forward? The trilogy? Uh, they're going to do it forever until they stop making money. Like... So basically forever. I will say I do want to go to Star Wars World, though, when they build that. So what I know of for sure is I know there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff series. Yeah. There's, I think, the Ryan Johnson trilogy, I'm pretty sure, that's set on, like, all new characters and an all new part of the... I thought they got nixed. Maybe. I I don't know. I thought it did. You thought it got cut? Yeah, I could have swore they had disagreements and he walked away. Oh, maybe. Maybe. But don't, yeah, yeah. Are Dave? Did they? Did they take over then? David Benioff and DB Weiss? No, they were fired from it. Okay. Probably because um, the last season was shit. <laughs> no, they claimed that the reason the last season of Game of Thrones was as it was because they spent most of their time working on Star Wars. Ugh. Um, but then I also know that they're doing the second season of Mandalorian. Was confirmed. Like earlier this week. Yeah. Ugh. Like it sounds like a bunch of shit I don't care about. Yeah, it just sounds exhausting. Yep. Just don't understand why we need so much more universe expansion. You understand that you contribute to this, right? You gave that movie your mind. Oh yeah, it was a big the blockbuster best thing you, on Christmas. The best day. thing you can do. Uh-huh. It came out two weeks before Christmas. Well, yeah, but like I saw it on Christmas, so that I don't really care about those two weeks. Best thing you can do to tell Disney that you don't want to see anymore. Don't pay for them. Well, I already invested in the first two, so I figured I'd finish this what one. What grand investment is this that you're getting a return on? I don't think I'm getting any return. but It's a terrible investment. Zach, you yourself said you're a self-proclaimed completionist. So, yeah. so if sure. I follow the same sure. standards, so if I follow the same standards. I wish that I wasn't. <laughs> And you, I don't think, really care about things like that. No. No, I don't. Because you can turn a movie out that you've already started and not finish it. Uh, yeah. If only if it's a movie I've already seen, though. So you turn on, like, oh, man, let's see. What's a movie you really hated? Like, so has there been a movie we reviewed on the show that you were watching for the first time that you wish you could have just shut off? Fucking, uh... Fucking that movie we watched. You loved it. We hated it. I'm Netflix movie. That was a Netflix original. Hold the Dark? Hold the Dark, dude. Dude, that's good. Hold the fucking Dark. Oh, shit, it. dude. They rehired Ryan Johnson. Really? That's funny. So it looks like... <laughs> so it's a trilogy, but we'll give you another one. So it looks like... So Kathleen Kennedy said there's a film waiting that they're going to release in 2022. <laughs> Supposedly, Kevin Feige has a Star Wars movie in development, and they rehired Ryan Johnson to do a trilogy. And there's a Rogue One prequel TV show in the works. Was it so we're getting a prequel to a prequel? Yeah, guess those. This guy looks creepy as fuck. Uh, oh, I guess it's it's gonna focus on Diego Luna's character. Oh, Who okay. gives a shit? Yeah, I don't care about that one. But Zach, you ought to be excited for this since, you know, Rogue One's the second best. 
It is second best, but I don't care about what happened before it. So it looks like there's a lot of Star Wars in the mix. Actually, there. you know what is a prequel to Rogue One? Star Wars Episode 1, 2, and 3. Oh, shit! That's the E2 Mama Tambien guy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, Chris is on board. Think he's going to show his dick in this? I'm not a big Star Wars guy. Like, I, I really have never been too interested in Star Wars. Yet you felt this compelling urge to see it because you'd seen all the other ones. I've seen the other two of this trilogy, so yes, I felt compelled to go finish it. Even though you don't really like Star Wars. Yes. Completionist attitude. Do you think that makes any sense at all? No. I understand it. That's why I went and saw it. So I actually thought the greatest blockbuster of the year couple weeks ago called Marriage Story. The greatest blockbuster. <laughs> I fucking loved it. Uh, Papa Bombach is the greatest. I wish it bums me out. Oh, tell that guy that his <laughs> that it feels like I don't his, like Bombach, but I love Marriage Story. That hurts. Uh, it, is, it feels like he's like he's such a douche. Do you no. ever like heard, like listen to him talk? He's not. Yeah, what gives you that impression? I don't know. Maybe it's just because his characters are so pretentious. I just assume it's a reflection of him. Do you like Stanley Kubrick? Do I like Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. As a person? No, as I don't know. Do you like his films? I do. All of his characters are extremely pretentious. What? Have you seen Barry Lyndon, my friend? Actually, I, have I, not, actually I haven't seen Barry Lyndon, believe it or not. Oh, big fan. This guy. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the few like holes in my filmography is sounding correct. But I I think if you would listen to like him on some like podcasts and stuff, you'd find that like Noah Baumbach's like nowhere near like a dick or pretentious at all. Is he ugly? Okay, I just want to back. Okay, first, I'm sorry, I just gotta bring this back, Zach, because you're just so wrong, and I love it when this happens. Twice uh, it's already yeah. happened on the show. We might yeah. get three. Who's what's the pretentious character in The Killing? Okay, no, 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 no. I did not say all of them. I just That's said what you said. You said all of his characters are pretentious. You said all of Noah Baumbach's characters are pretentious, which is yeah, they are overstatement. And you haven't even seen all of his movies, so it doesn't even sound like a claim you can actually make. Francis, Francis, yeah, Francis, Squ- Francis Ha. Squill and the Whale definitely. Some of the characters are pretentious. Francis Ha definitely. No, 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 Francis is the most humble, down person. Bullshit, dude. She has, she feels like she has to read Proust before she goes to France. She's, he, he's making fun of that. Right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's making fun of it. Oh, All right. I got gotcha. you. To Jacob's credit, I will say that Francis's roommates and uh, Francis are incredibly pretentious. But it's not like in support of that, like being like, oh, here are like great people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're looking like the Meyerowitz stories, like uh, Dustin Hoffman's character. It's, like, pretentious. Oh, but Barry. He's, but he's not... Uh, but he's not it's almost, it's almost always showing, like, how destructive that behavior is. Yeah, because everybody else around Dustin Hoffman's character in that movie is completely fine. And that entire movie is about how Dustin Hoffman's pretension has destroyed his relationship with his kids. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, Bumbach just happens to, like, show... You know, like, it's, like, it's about complicated people with, like, problems, but it just what? happens to be, like, you know, rich artists in 
very like New York, which is obviously it was one of the similar things with like I sort of see it similar to how like it's hard for me to relate to like characters in Woody Allen films because it's just like it's like the most obnoxious people possible. But I think Bombach actually has like much more. Like, I mean, more. I'll say that I prefer Noah Bombach over Woody Allen for sure. I prefer that's like, right. Uh, <laughs> that's what. That's. I should, you shouldn't laugh about that, but fuck's sake. Yeah, I prefer anyone over Woody Allen. But anyway, sorry to sorry to derail you from Marriage Story. Oh, uh, which I, I thought it was a perfect movie, just all around like amazing. It's one of like the it's the type of movie that I wish the like still still was getting made. You know what I mean? Like it's just like a fucking modest adult drama it's like perfect modest is the best word for it it's so simple did you simple movie did you listen to our review of it andrew i did not but i'm sure it's great oh it's very intelligent very (laughs) very (laughs) all the points are very intellectual yeah like that uh i will say that um the scene of Adam Driver singing uh, "Being Alive" is probably in like my top five of favorite scenes. Oh really? Time. That was the one thing I didn't like of the whole thing. Adam Driver singing. I loved it so much. It just felt like such a. I read an interview what? with the pretentious man himself, Noah Baumbach. <laughs> oh, good. He the he was asked like during their big like arguments like how much of it was improvised. And his response was, none of it. And they were, she was like, wait, nothing? And he was like, every single er, ah, and hmm is scripted. There's not a single thing they said that was not something I wrote. That's your kind of movie. Interesting. It's insane how intense he is about that stuff. But at the same point, I sort of like, I can get like reacting that way because like, it does sort of like feel insulting to like, I mean, he's, in a way, it's like, where be like oh, this that. is so good that, like, you couldn't have written it. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I need to get a copy of the script for Marriage Story. It's available to download on the internet. Is it? Yeah. I gotta check it out. I wanna see if it's actually written in so many oh. er, ers, hums, and ums. He's just gonna be he sitting also, there with the script in his hand, like, watching the movie, just like, that's not there, that's with, not there. Uh, the Meyerowitz stories... Dustin Hoffman talked about how the script supervisor was always like having to talk to him for like things like like they would shoot a scene that he would cut and then the script supervisor would come up to him and be like, Sir, uh, that's actually like see that that line right there, that's it's a comma, it's not a period. You took too long of a pause to like keep going. And, like, wow. That's how ridiculous he is about things. Well he's also notorious for Yeah, no Bombback's not pretentious at all. <laughs> oh, sorry for getting people to do like what you want in your own movie and like trying to get things perfect. Plus, it doesn't. Plus, it doesn't matter if your movie fucking rules, and they do. So. <laughs> um, well, he is also notorious for doing like forty takes and stuff. Like, I guess when Jacob makes his movie, everything just gonna be one take willy nilly because he doesn't want to be this pretentious douchebag. I'm okay. going. I'm right. going fuck Clint Eastwood style, baby. One take. Well, good job, everybody. <laughs> so terrible. <laughs> Um, about an American hero who's secretly a douchebag. <laughs> uh, no, I I loved it a lot, and so that was really great. Uh, a film not from this year, but 
uh, in this decade that I saw recently was Everyone Else, which was mm-hmm. uh, it got recently added to the Criterion Collection, and it's directed by uh, Marin Aid, who did um, uh, who did Tony Erdman, which was you know one of my my favorite movie that year came out and was like very high on my uh, top fifty of the decade list. And it's interesting; it's like definitely sort of like a plotless film. It's just like about like this relationship drama, and it's just one of those films where it's like it wasn't necessarily like great, but I loved watching it. Then, other than that, the most recent film, the most other like notable film I saw was The Irishman, which I loved. Is that a rewatch or is that a first watch? Uh, it was my first watch. I saw it, you know, about a, like a month or so ago, and I just loved it. Thought it was perfect. I don't know. It's pretty pretty great, right, Andrew? Yeah, it's very middle of the road. That is so wrong on some <laughs> level. <laughs> A very average Scorsese movie, about as good as The Aviator or Gangs of New York. Oh my God! Oh, shut up! Get out of here! You're not, you're not even trying to troll successfully. Yeah, guys, <laughs> Gangs of New York was a great movie. I'm not. I, I'll just say I gave Gangs of New York three stars, and I gave The Irishman three and a half. So, Irishman gets Irishman gets five for me. Yeah, Zach needs to get his television checked. He thought the de aging stood out. <laughs> Aging is good. The movie's still 45 minutes too long. It's a long movie. I wouldn't cut anything out of it. Like, it's like the perfect length. The perfect length is three and a half hours. Oh, yeah. Perfect. For that movie, it was. like it's, it's, a, it's an epic. How is it epic if it's only like 20 minutes longer than most of your movies? <laughs> 20 minutes longer? What, what movie are you talking about? All of Martin Scorsese movies yeah. are really long. <laughs> Oh, so he just does epics. So what? Yeah, I mean... This dude's uh, like Homer. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street was long and I didn't care. But it was also, like, good. I mean, Casino's. But the point is, like... Yeah, Casino's also good. <laughs> the movie is perfect. Fuck, dude. Um, yeah, I mean, the, like... The ending to it was just like incredible. Like the last forty-five minutes after, yeah, you know, they after he realized what he has to do to Jimmy Hoffa, that throughout the rest of the film is just flawless. I like to call him James. <laughs> I I also love the stuff of him in the nursing home. Yeah, we're on oh, yeah, first name basis. Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci playing bocce in a wheelchair, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and like the yeah, and like the final shot is just perfect. Twenty seconds of Joe Pesci playing bocce really justifies that three and a half hours. Joe Pesci's the man in this you movie. You're so wrong on so many levels. If there's anyone who deserves a pass, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. But if there's anyone else who deserves it, it's Martin Scorsese, and he's using it. He's using that free pass with the Irishman. Baloney, dude. By your standards, though, the Aviator should be one that deserves a pass too, as well as Gangs of New York. So you're giving the guy three passes. The guy's been coasting for a while, but <laughs> that is not wow. Literally, his best like his best work has been his last like three movies. Wolf of Wall that, Street. I can't honestly believe you're going to say that that is true. Wolf of Wall Street is. 
So, okay. So you're saying that The Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street, and Silence are as good as Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, Lamentation of Christ. They're all as good as that? So I would put Wolf of Wall Street above all of them except Taxi Driver. I would put Silence... Yeah, I don't think silence. I like silence, but I don't think it's better than any of those. I put silence above Casino, but I wouldn't put it above like Goodfellas. But I put it with definitely in the top. And the Irishman, I probably put it above Casino and Silence. But I would put the Irish. Yeah, I put the Irishman above King of Comedy, and above Silence. See, if it wasn't if it wasn't for Taxi Driver. I would probably put The Wolf of Wall Street as, like, his best film. But Taxi Driver is just too, like, it's just too much the combination of, like, everything I love in a movie. I haven't seen Taxi Driver since I was, like, 12 years old, so. The ripe age to see a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. What the fuck did yeah. you do to your mom? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street. I It's a movie that I will never Look, watch for forever. I love The Wolf of Wall Street. I don't dislike The Irishman. I just think there's a top ten of his movies to be made that doesn't include The Irishman. Do any of his modern movies make your top three? That he's done in his career? <laughs> yeah. No. No? No. Alright. It's Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, yeah. Mean Streets. Mean Streets? I haven't seen Mean Street, so I don't know, but... Mean Street's good. For me, it would go... i go Taxi Driver, Wall Street, Goodfellas, uh, probably Raging Bull. Raging Bull's good. And then... Um, what the fifth one be? It would probably be... It'd either be Silence or Casino. Raging Bull would be my fourth, and then Wolf of Wall Street would be five for me, but Silence and the Irishman don't come anywhere close. I actually don't think... I think Silence is beautifully directed, but it's not a good movie. I have a poster for it, but I've never seen it. It's good. It's happy, to say the least. It's not a movie you want to see at Railroad Square, which I did. <laughs> is it like, what, three hours, 15 minutes long? It's 2.40. Ooh. I'm so, just saying about our, specifically Railroad Square Cinema. A 2.40 movie I can handle. Those seats... Shit. I saw Tony Erdman at Railroad Square. That was that was brutal on my back. For me, it's the ass. That's true. It's the legs. You don't have any room to stretch. That's true. You can't put your legs like any more out than that. You can't like lay them on the seats in front of you just because like there's no room. Yeah, I think you have between. too much room at Bangor Mall Cinema and like not enough room. Yeah. At Square. That's why Spotlight is like a happy medium. That's true. Nickelodeon was kind of hard when I went to go see The Lighthouse. Nickelodeon is also bad. Yeah. I've never been. It's, it's like a cool theater. Like when you walk in, it like looks kind of cool. Must an old cheat. Yeah. Not a big fan of that. I like that ambiance. <laughs> what did you watch, Zach? Well, I watched... Was arguably probably the greatest Christmas movie of all time. I watched it uh, Christmas Eve day at the deli. 
and this is a little film from 1990 something called Home Alone 3. Fuck! I was hoping you'd say Jingle oh. All the Way. I was going to say I like that. <laughs> uh, so I watched Home Alone 3, which is about uh, this kid with Home Alone with chicken pox, and he starts noticing some strange events about the neighborhood as this group of... Uh, I know what you want to call them. The Web Bandits? Bad guys are trying to get this microchip from... Uh, a toy truck that he has. <laughs> I will say... He's a little far-fetched. The kid has some ingenuity. I'm looking up Home Alone 3. And, like, I would say in Home Alone, like, all the things that happen to them, like, you'd get some scrapes and some bruises, but you'd be all right. I think if anything were to happen to you that they do in Home Alone 3, I think you'd actually be dead. Scar Joe's in it. Yeah. 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 So, like, for example, like, a guy is electrocuted for, like, over 30 seconds. <laughs> That's girl, right, you like, see a skeleton. Yeah. A girl, like, <laughs> falls forward, like, passed out in mud. Like, is face down in mud and is passed out cold. Like, she'd suffocate and die. <laughs> <laughs> There's just, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't survive any of this. This kid's a murderer. That's right. Well, this it's all what, in self-defense, I guess. I want to see the Home Alone movie that takes place in a courthouse because they sue him <laughs> and press charges against him. Oh, shit. That'd be funny. But I also watched the original Home Alone, which is still just as good. I watched I, the original Home Alone on Christmas Day. <sighs> it's very good. I never know. realized it was directed by Chris Columbus. Christopher Columbus from Harry Potter fame. It's badass. Oh, also... Chris, do you want to take a guess who wrote Home Alone 3? Paul Thomas Anderson. That's a terrible guess. Eddie Murphy. Steven Soderbergh. Steve Seagal. Okay, very popular 80s filmmaker. Probably the, the most Berg? popular. The Berg? No. No? no. Popular from the 80s? Maybe you a hint. Mm -hmm. Oh, no way. No way. Still it's not, it's not Judd Nelson, if that's what you're thinking. It is the man associated <laughs> yeah. with that movie. John Hughes? It is read by John Hughes. He's got some pretty uh, two hits there. He's got, more than two He's hits. got way more than that. What are you talking about? Hold on. What else has he written? I am unaware. So, directed Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink was okay. Did he do St. Elmo's Fire? I don't know if he did say that was fine. Uh, he wrote uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's true. Big yeah. hit, so he's got three. I mean, Pretty Pink was a hit, regardless yeah. of whether you liked it or not. I'm talking me personally, okay? Nobody else matters. 16 Candles is great. 16 Candles is a movie Just... done by John Hughes. <laughs> Just <laughs> sitting on the table, okay? Oh. That movie was very racist. Uh, my... Uh, when I was Jeez, back home yeah, visiting true. my parents, they got Disney Plus. So I watched uh, Monster Inc., which is still think probably like the best Pixar film after Up. That's a good question. What is the best Pixar film? Yo, I, Up is a good one. Wally is a Pixar film, isn't it? Sometimes yeah. I feel like nostalgia uh, kind of like clouds my judgment for it because like Monster Inc. is just always my favorite, but truly it probably goes to Up. 
Monster Sandwich. Monster Sandwich is great. What's is Finding Nemo Pixar? Yes. What about Toy Story? Is that Pixar? Yes. The first Pixar. Oh, then I think Toy Story might be the best. I don't know, guys. Ratatouille. You don't discount the man. I'm not. That's actually a great movie. True. I mean, I'm a big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of The Incredibles too. That's definitely a top three. Or like A Bug's Life is pretty great for my in my opinion. One was Coco. I'm more of an ants guy. How weird is <laughs> that? Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Boring-ass motherfucker. <laughs> Although I do like that Patrick Warburton's in it. That's always a plus. Yes, yeah, seriously. What does Pixar come and have coming up? Is Emperor's New Groove a Pixar movie? No. No. That's still the best Pixar movie. I think Pixar's got trash coming out. The good guys. A middle school music teacher dreams of playing at legendary New York jazz club, The Blue Note. Jamie Foxx, Dobby Diggs, Tina Fey. out right now is Spy. Spies in Disguise. Is that Pixar? I don't think so. I don't think no, so. It might be DreamWorks. Yeah, Pixar's taken a sharp note. Dive, but I did like The Incredibles, too. Inside Out. That was really oh, good. Oh, boy, that was great. I think Pixar took the nosedive after they fired that guy who was, like, accused of sexual harassment to all the women in the workplace. No, it had taken a dive before then. It was when, like, Disney bought them because... Before John Lasseter left, they still did, like, Cars 2 and stuff like that. So it's like... Brave was that. That's pretty bad. I never yeah. saw Brave. Because John Lasseter's firing was, like, pretty recent, like, in the last, like, two years. And so a lot of the... I, think it was, I thought it was longer ago than that. I thought it was, like, five years ago. I'm pretty sure, like, he only got fired during, like, the Me Too movement. But I might be wrong. Huh, I don't remember. See you later, good Pixar. <laughs> That's okay, though. I'm a, like, it's whatever. We have Onward coming out this upcoming year. Yeah, there you go, Onward. They should make Oregon Trail the movie. Like, like you mean that computer game? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, obviously it ends with them dying of dysentery. <laughs> of course. Why, why else would there be any other ending? You can't end it with him getting to Oregon. That's too easy. It's too easy. <laughs> You're disgusting. God, I'm just looking up. John Lasseter, what an ugly fucking guy. <laughs> John. What else did you watch in the past week, Zach? Did you talk about anything yet? Besides Home Alone 3? Right. Oh, that's right. You did talk about that. Um, Chris, what else did you watch? Um, I watched The Drop. With James Gandolfini and Tom Hardy. Is that oh, yes. Or after enough said? I have no clue. You're asking the wrong it's, I think it's before. I think enough said was his last film, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think the drop was that good. It's not surprising. Um, I thought Tom Hardy wasn't that good. Also not surprising. Uh, I'm always a fan of the Gand. Yeah. One of the yeah. greatest all time. R.I.P. James Gandolfini. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, the movie was just kind of boring. Nothing really exciting happened. Even the stuff that was supposed to be exciting wasn't really exciting. That plot twist at the end, or the quote-unquote plot twist, that I personally saw coming. Um, You're a wizard. I just, I don't know, I mean... There was nothing really exciting about the movie. The dog was cute as fuck, though. 
Yeah. That's about it. Uh, I watched... It wasn't a movie, but something that I found the most <laughs> transcendental thing I've watched in a long time is the Netflix show I Think You Should Leave. So has anyone else seen this? Uh-uh. So this is priority one for everyone hosting this podcast and everyone listening to it. Because now, a lot of times when people... That's you, Harmony Karim. When, <laughs> when people, like, recommend me stuff on Netflix, I just only, like, half listen. I don't watch it. Yeah, I'm just like, because it's like, there's so many fucking things. Like, who cares? But I was visiting my old roommate when I went back home for Thanksgiving. Oh, never mind. I've seen this. And he, like, put it on and we watched it. It's this sketch comedy show. I swear to God, I have never seen anything this funny in my life. I was in physical pain. It's very much in the same vein as, like, Nathan For You or, like, sort of, like, a more normal Tim and Eric. Like, just very much that, like, postmodern, just, like, absurdist stuff. Yeah. But, like, kind of grounded in reality. But the guy who created the show, Tim Robinson, who's in most of the sketches, is so funny. It's he was unbearable. on SNL. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote an SNL for a while. Isn't he one of the uh, – or isn't someone associated with the show one of the Lonely Island guys? Yeah, yeah. one of the Lonely Island guys. Uh, uh, <laughs> it is incredible. There was one – like, I, I remember I, – I haven't watched the entirety of it, but there was one sketch – the horse penis one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could not stop. Oh, yeah, man. Every single one of them is so funny that I'm just like in physical pain. That's... Chris, have you ever watched Billy on the Street? Yes. That's... Billy on the Street. It seems like I we were watching some of it, and it just seems like a show that you would think is hilarious. The first like two or three episodes I watched were kind of funny, but then I was just like, oh shit, it's the same thing over again. It is, but like... He's so ridiculous. He That's is. Funny. He is, dude. My favorite sketches that he does is when he takes actual famous people and like brings them on the street and asks people if they know who they are. Like 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 the John Oliver thing he did. Yeah. Where he like brings John Oliver. And he's like he first his first question is Are you gay? And the second question is Do you care about John Oliver? <laughs> and John Oliver is with him. Everyone's like, No, I don't know who that is. Who's <laughs> <Like>, this guy? <laughs> oh gosh. I love it when he's just like blatantly rude to people. Like the was the one the one part where he goes up to the woman and she's just like, I have to go, I have to go and he's like, Hold on, but we're playing a game here and then he keeps going and she's just like she's like, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. He's like, Because you were here <laughs> Oh man. He's fucking funny. He's funny. Yeah. I right, watched the new Jumanji. How bad is that? It's oh, exactly what it? you think it's going to be. Wait, was it... Was it like a press screen that you went to? Like a Q&A after? Oh, you fucking asshole. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> no, no. It was Christmas Eve movie. I wanted to go see Uncut Gems, but my family was like, no, we're going to go see Jumanji. We're going to go see Uncut Gems. <laughs> my, my second... Uh, the second showing of Uncut Gems I went to... There was, um, like, the family behind me, like, brought, like, a kid to, like, a 12-year-old. I'm just like, man, there are some scenes that I would not want to explain to a kid. Especially when they're fucking sexting. It's like, like when he just types, are you wet? Yeah, have fun explaining that. 
Man, she must have peed herself or something. Or like that scene with the weekend in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't even want to comment on that. Don't want to explain that to a kid. I, I can't say anything because I was that kid. Yeah, I saw a lot of so, things before I should have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, uh, something else that I've seen, once again, not a movie, but very uh, important, is I watched uh, the second season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which oh. I think is like, probably one of the best like shows that's on streaming right now. I haven't seen it yet, but I've already wanted to. So it's really cool. It's about, uh, it's basically about this woman uh, in New York in like the late 50s who uh, she becomes a stand up comedian after her like husband uh, divorces her. And it's really great. Like it's just very like snappy, funny. It's, but like great drama. And then it kind of blends. Um, you know, reality into it. Like Lenny Bruce is a character in it and things like that. And so it's just basically, it's what is perfect, like the perfect example of like a dramatic comedy, but far more on the side of comedy. And it's second, and no, sorry, it's the third season that uh, just came out and it's perfect. There's a new season of Cougar Enthusiasm beginning early 2020. That's just, uh, it takes them a long time to do things. Oh, so yeah. the last season was two years ago. Which one of you has an HBO login that I can borrow? I do. I think, I, I I think everyone here uses mine. I need that password username again, by the way. I use it, yeah. <laughs> I use everybody else's shit. Because I'm a mooch. It's going to be very, very funny. Mm-hmm. I've always, people always, like, when they talk about Seinfeld, always say it. Oh, did you did you watch Career Enthusiasm? Like, what's that? It's like Seinfeld but funny. Like, <laughs> it's like the crazy version of Career Enthusiasm. There's been there's been multiple times now that I've well after I start, watched some of the Curb Your Enthusiasm and I like got a cut from Larry David's voice where I'll watch um I'll watch Seinfeld and I'll be like, dude, it's fucking Larry David, and I find that I get more excited about that than anything that happens in Seinfeld. Seinfeld's not funny, but Kirby, your enthusiasm is what? hilarious. I wouldn't say Seinfeld's not funny. Seinfeld's fucking hilarious. George, I George gets me, man. Like yeah. not me personally, Larry, but he Seinfeld gets my go. Like probably when Elaine dates a communist, the Festivus episode. When <laughs> uh, come on, like what are you talking about? Like I think Jerry Seinfeld is probably the most obnoxious person on the planet. I, I think his like mm, uh, uh Jerry is definitely my least favorite character on the show, but yeah, <laughs> the show itself. I do love George though. I love George and Kramer. George is so funny. Oh my gosh, it's just him having that conversation with his dad. Shit. You want to plug that in again? I think I unplugged it. Why do I have to plug it in? You fucked it up. Oh fuck. There we yeah. go. Just the episode where he's there having talking a conversation about the bra size. And he was just like, you know about the bra. And he's like, of course I know about the bra. And he's like, you've got your D, you've got your A cups, <laughs> your B cups and your C cups. You've got D's and your double D's. And he's like, dad, I know about the bras. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's it's funny in the same way that I think everyone lo- everybody loves Raymond. It's funny. You just like everybody oh, loves. You Raymond. love everybody loves Raymond. You I love Raymond. 
I do love Ray Romano. Fuck. But it's like, it's just like, it's like, it's not like laugh out loud at funny. It's just kind of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're not going to like die laughing at an episode of Everyone Loves Raymond, but you're going to like chuckle at things. <laughs> oh, Marie, what it's are like, you doing? That's how I feel about Seinfeld. Like, I will chuckle at things that Kramer or Lane or George do, but will find Jerry Seinfeld absolutely reprehensible. So he's the character that brings this whole thing down for you? Like, he's that bad where he brings a whole show to a bad call for you? He's unbearable to watch. Oh my gosh. I really I do never... hate Jerry Seinfeld. I don't he's hate Jerry. so terrible. I don't know. I think he's an, enjo- I think he's an enjoyable like for friend. Like, for whatever reason, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David are exactly the same. For whatever reason, like, Kirby Enthusiasm works, and Seinfeld doesn't. Larry, Larry's a little more edgier. Like, Jerry plays it safer than Larry does. That's true. Maybe that's why it works more. Yeah. Larry like, feels like he actually hates people, where Jerry wants you to think he hates people. Oh my gosh. Larry, Larry David's a friggin' riot, dude. Like, I watched the episode last night where <laughs> someone, like, takes Larry David's jacket out of his car like they're at like a beach mm-hmm. at night for a fire and like someone like takes his jacket out of his car he just goes up to that person and obnoxiously starts acting as though he's cold <laughs> <laughs> and he's like talking about how much he hates s'mores and doesn't understand them like why people like them it's like that's funny whatever Jerry Temple is doing not funny. No, you, I, it's a great episode where Larry David accuses the weatherman of giving false weather reports so he can have the golf course to himself. <laughs> I've only uh, before I watched any bit of Curb Your Enthusiasm, I watched one uh, like little short video that popped up on Facebook, and it was when he's at the baseball game, but he get like hires the prostitute to go with him. And yeah, she's like, yeah, like you're with me right now, or I'll flop a titty out. And he's like, do not flop your titty out. Do not flop your titty out. There's an episode in season, the one that was on two years ago, where he gets a new hairdresser who is a lesbian. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, is that you can describe so any, funny. you can literally because describe any situation and say she, Larry David's applied, and I'm going to find it hilarious. She is like, like cutting his hair, and she's like asking if he wants to see his wedding dress, and he's like, you? You're not a bride. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? He shows him a picture of her fiance and he's like, that's a bride. That's a bride. <laughs> you? Not a bride. Oh, good gosh. Oh yeah, my gosh. I like the uh the the scene where they're moving the blind guy into his house. <laughs> What about the one where he like dates the woman in the wheelchair and he like has her on her phone as like wheelchair girl or something like that? <laughs> or um, possibly my favorite is when he yells at the guy who takes the handicapped parking spot for a stutter. And then like later in the episode, he goes to the handicapped stall. Uh, and their opponent's like, yell, everyone lines young at him, and he pretends to have a stutter. <laughs> so you could describe any situation and just be like, oh, and then Larry David was there, and it instantly just becomes funny. Like, Plus, just be like, like, yeah, he goes to a pancake breakfast, and then you're like, oh, shit, what did Larry do with the pancake breakfast? Plus with, uh, what's, what's the black guy's name in the show? Um... Oh, uh, oh, the uh, the rapper guy. Shit, it's JB Smooth, but his character yeah. is uh, Leon. That's right, it's Leon. Like 
That character is funnier than any of the side Oh, characters. I fucking love Leon. J.B. Smoove is hilarious. If you get J.B. Smoove in the right situation, he's one of the funniest men. I swear. Like, that addition to the show is just amazing. I'm thinking Wait, of I'm thinking of the other guy, like when a... when Larry David gets called the N word, like uh, the rapper, who like the rapper is seeing other women on the side, so like he has this information on him, okay. and he tells his wife and his wife's friends with the rapper's wife or something. Yeah, it's like one of the the, the first episode of like the season that was on before the new one. There's like. Leon is living in the guest house behind Larry David's house. And he just has this rap music blaring. So like Larry David goes out, he pounds on his door, and he's like, hey, "What the fuck you doing?" Leon's like, "I'm vibing." <laughs> I was like, "What does that mean? Like, what are you doing?" He's like, I'm just vibing, man. You just, you just do it. <laughs> Fucking Larry David, dude. Ah, I love that guy. Let's see. Well, I watched a movie this week that I know Andrew's a big fan of. I watched 45 Years, directed yeah. by Andrew High. Is that how you pronounce his last name? I always, I always said Haig, but... Haig? Okay. Um, it's quite good. It, um, I rank his movies. Oh, uh, if I were to rank his movies, probably go Lean on Pete, 45 Years, Weekend, and then those are the only three of his I've seen. I haven't seen the Looking movie, or I don't know, like what else. He did Looking Show too. Yeah, I don't know what else he might have, but yeah, Forty Five Years is probably the best, and then uh, Lean on Pete is second for sure. I like Forty Five Years quite a bit. Like, it's a pretty compelling story. It's um, basically what it is about. That's um. It's about this couple who's about to celebrate their 45th wedding anniversary. And about a week before it happens, the guy gets a letter saying that they found the body of, like, an old girlfriend, like, buried in the ice in the Alps. And it basically completely rocks his world and then puts their marriage to the test. Um, And it's just, like, a really... Like a pretty sad story, honestly. Like when you think about <clears throat> just like the wife's position, and um, all of a sudden these years later, like she starts, like she finds out more and more about this woman who you kind of find out is like the woman that got away for him, and kind of like makes her question like what all these forty-five years were about. And I don't know, I just was really into it. Like I thought it was, I thought it's like incredibly well acted. The two, like the you mean is amazing the what charlotte rampling is amazing yeah she's excellent i mean she's nominated for an academy award for it <laughs> she must be good yeah that's uh that it's definitely great he i think there are like very few actors who do like interpersonal relationships as well as he does i mean think about weekend how that's just so like there's no plot to it whatsoever but it's just like perfect watching them and you know i've gone record before that leon pete is truly an underrated masterpiece it's very good it's definitely very good i do think his other two that i've seen are better yeah in 45 years is definitely his best but i would take leon pete over weekend yeah i've been putting off 45 years for like a long time like i don't know why i just was 
always wanted to watch it, never did. And finally, I was just like, you know what? I just want a quick hour and a half movie to watch. Wanted to watch it before the end of the decade. And uh, you know, I struggle with the Tree of Life. I own it. I've wanted to watch it since it came out. Haven't. Have you never seen it? I've never seen Tree of Life. Oh, dude. So, oh, you tried to watch it on a fever dream one day. I try, I watched Stalker on a fever dream. Uh, I was gonna say, uh, Tree of Life <laughs> is a fever dream. Uh, <laughs> it's funny for whatever reason. I don't know why this reminded me of it, but um, you remind me of a movie I saw a couple weeks ago for the first time, Thoroughbreds. Yeah. And yep, it's interesting. Like. I wouldn't say it was overall a great movie. It was like definitely like good and kept me engaged. From it. And it had one part that I found like so like bleak and stuff. Like you know the whole climax of like of like the act and stuff. You know, like that whole part was like super bleak. But otherwise, it just felt like a very stiff movie. I remember it coming out at a time when like everybody was doing the nihilistic teenager character. Yeah. I ended up like not liking it. Like, it just seemed like I had seen that same movie like 15 times that year. I, yeah, I, I love that actress uh, from The Witch, though. She's, yeah, she's, Anya Taylor Joy, I think her name is right. Split. Yeah, yeah she's glass. doing some good stuff. I'm excited for her. Split in glass. And uh, <laughs> Robert and Robert Eggers' um, follow up to The Lighthouse, uh, the like Viking movie. She's gonna be in that. He's so. not doing Nosferatu. What the fuck, uh, dude. I think that got pushed back again. It's because he's a coward, dude. He's not gonna do it. He, the Zog's already done it better than he ever will. I so. think. I think that Viking, could be true. I think the Viking movie is gonna be pretty damn good, though. It could be badass, yeah, for sure. If there's one thing I don't want to do, it's listen to Robert Eggers talk about costuming Vikings. <laughs> Uh, Other than 45 years, I also watched the um, pilot episode to Watchmen. And I'm very intrigued. I am very much looking forward to continuing watching this. Um, I really didn't know a whole lot about it going into it. Um, It's a very interesting premise. Like, Do you guys know much about it? I don't. So it's set like 30-something years after the events of Watchmen. And what's happened is in this alternate reality, there's this uh, white supremacist terrorist organization called the 7th Calvary. And at some point in the alternate history, they uh, executed an attack where they killed um, a mass amount of police officers. So to so what police what the police force does now is they all wear masks so that they cannot be targeted by the Seventh Cavalry. You think they would do that already? Yeah, right. And it's uh, pretty interesting. Like the Seventh Cavalry all wear Rorschach masks, which is pretty cool. Um, it's just it's very interesting. It all takes place in 2019 in like this alternate reality, and it's. It's very compelling. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Well, Cherry. when I get Zach's HBO login, I'll, con- I'll, con- <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it, but I'm going to allow myself a quick moment of pretentiousness. Um, I feel Do you watch a Noah Baumbach movie? I feel, betray- <laughs> I, I feel like I can't watch it because 
Alan Moore's work has been, like, so important to me, like, throughout my life. Like, his, like, the original, like, Watchmen comics and, like, all of his stuff has been so just, like, influential on, like, everything I love. Like, one of my all-time favorite authors. And just knowing how, like, adamantly he's been, like, opposed to, like, the adaptations of his, like, his stuff from, like, Rod Dealers just makes me feel like, I don't know, someone that, like, I love whose work I respect so much. It would be similar to, and it's also difficult to say, because, you know, for example, if, like, if my favorite author, Cormac McCarthy, was like, oh, I hate all of the adaptations of my books, I would feel the same way. The same point, No Country for Old Men, is, like, one of my all-time favorite movies. So it's like, I'm not going to not watch it, but part of me feels a little bit of a sense of betrayal just because... Didn't Cormac McCarthy not like that movie? I think he liked, uh, I don't know, I think he liked the adaptation of No Country for Old Men. I think it was all the forces that he didn't like the adaptation of. He's also been on record of saying that he doesn't like authors and only wants to hang out with scientists, which I think is like <laughs> the, the perfect uh, like asshole thing to say. But no, Watchmen, it's really good. I, um, I'm quite... Quite invested. I can't wait to watch some more. I have told myself that I won't get invested into an HBO show until I watch Chernobyl. But I haven't done yeah, that. that's one I need to watch too. I watched the pilot for that a while, like a long time ago, over the summer when it came it, out. Like, on TV, and I just like didn't. If we're talking, if we're talking HBO shows, number one by far of any contemporary ones is Barry. Those two seasons are straight up oh. masterpieces. Yeah, I didn't mind Barry. I stopped watching it partway through the first season, though. Oh, you got. You I got do it. that. I do that quite often. It's very good. Oh, and especially like the second season because it gets even more, even more darker, but also just as funny. Like it's. But I, don't know, I do feel like it's ramping up to a point where like it can really only sustain it for like one more season. I have a feeling that they're gonna end it bef- that they'll end it before like overstays its welcome because like if you think about like the pacing of the show and obviously we won't I just won't spoil it but you've seen all season two right so you know that thing in like episode four or five where it's that like huge like uh not even necessarily a twist but like that huge thing that happens where just like they do a thing that like changes like the whole course of the show, they, that'd be a season finale thing. They do it right in the middle of the season. And so, like, the fact that... Not only that, they do it, and then they take, like, an episode and do a bottle episode. Yeah. And then... So, like, they never... Like, they don't hold off on, like, pulling, like, the big punches and stuff. Like, they, like... When something feels natural to the story, they do it. So I feel like that they would... Like, if they were like, oh, this is the best natural ending, and we're talking about the end of season three, season four... They would do that, yeah. I think it has the single greatest episode of television. Uh, you said that about goes, Game of Thrones. Barry? Yeah, like when he goes, like... The bottle episode? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely there. I mean, um, I can't co-sign that just because the, because the finale of Twin Peaks The Return, I think, is like transcendental that like nothing can like beat that but we'll find out when i watch all of it in one day and crown it greatest film of 2000 oh have you done all right here here's a if 
if you're going to put 10 pieces of the return in your top 50 of jazz IP, I'm going to put Red Dead Redemption 2. And uh, because uh, we classify whatever we want as movies, and I'm going to put that video game in there. My favorite movie of past decade is that video of Kiefer Sutherland jumping into a Christmas tree. <laughs> I'm telling you, Zach, if you get a theater to play all 18 hours and you watch it straight, I'll give it to you. It has, okay, to, be, it has to be distributed to the theater, though. It can't be renting it. Fuck you. Showtime has to do an actual theatrical release. Okay, well, you wanted them to, but they wouldn't. To, it's 18 be, hours long. It has to be recut as a movie, too. That's perfect. All they would have to do is play his original cut, which he didn't have, which he gave to them as one long thing that they cut themselves. There you go. If that happens and you see it, fine by me. I already saw it. It happened. Bullshit. Uh, yeah, but like, here's the thing. Neither of you would know. I could just say I did it. Um, I know that you live in Bangor, Maine, and that you didn't see it. You think I uh, so I, <laughs> so I will I say this. Big that. surprise when you get here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I will say the fact that I have done like the eighteen-hour watch, and it's very fulfilling. Like I watched all, I watched all eighteen hours. Yep, just watched the return all I've, in one thing. I figured that if I start like five in the morning and account for you know eating and going to the bathroom and whatnot. I can be done by midnight. Just get a just get a bottle. Then you just carry get a two liter bottle, you know? Yeah, I started at like nine AM and then it was like five in the morning or something. I'm sorry, but that's just some shit I could not do that early in the morning. You gotta be committed. No, it's like three in the morning that I finished, but you gotta oh. be committed to something for once in your life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Twin Peaks, the new the T V show is not gonna be it. Did anyone get the new box set? No. No. <clears throat> that um, would not be financially responsible of me. I'm not a David Lynch guy. But I want it. I want it's it. It's so really hard for me to watch David Have you Lynch. Seen Blue Velvet? No, that's the one that I've been told I really need to get. I've really only seen Mulholland Drive. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what David Lynch is put out to be honest. Also, let's take a moment to note um, very exciting news that. Yeah, the next uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film has begun starting. If not, like, pre-production has been started in the works. They've already gotten, like, the tax credit permit has been posted by deadline, so. I like, I wish, did you hear his interview with Bill Simmons? Yes, of course. I really wish he would buy the Book United's house and just live in it. I know. Well, also, like, him hmm. saying, I hope he was being modest when he was saying, like, Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have the money for it. Because I was just like, he must. The dude has like 12 kids. He doesn't have money. What? He doesn't have 12 kids. He has like four. <laughs> PJ has four kids? He has like four or five kids, yeah. Maya Rudolph has got those stacks. It's true. She probably makes way more money than he does. Wait, he's her... married to Maya Rudolph? Yeah. Her they've, been married... they've been married for a long time. What the fuck, dude? This yeah. is news he... to me. So literally, like, he got the idea for Phantom Thread because he got really sick and Maya Rudolph took care of him. That's badass. Yeah, like her SNL money, her bridesmaids money. Like, I think she made him sign up. Plus, she's got a new Fox, uh, Fox uh, animated show. She definitely made him sign a prenup. 
I mean, PTA can't be like broke. He's not broke, dude. But like, he does not make as much as she does. Oh no, there's there's no way. But like, it's not like Jay Z and Beyonce where you can be like, maybe she he, does. He probably maybe. has. He probably though has some millions stacked from Boogie Nights, uh, like home video sales. I bet he's very good at saving. So he probably doesn't make very much from each movie, but it's just really good at making it go the extra mile. I mean, like, how much do you honestly think PTA makes per movie? Okay, well, let's think that each of his movies probably costs less than $20 million to make. Yeah. He probably get, I would imagine he probably gets paid, like, $3 million or something for, like, the movies. And then, like, oh, only $3 million? According to the internet, Paul Thomas Anderson has a net worth of $70 million. Seventy million, like he's he's yeah, fine. There's no way that's accurate. Though. He's fine, dude. Even if even if it's like you know an eighth of that, he's good. I'm not saying he and doesn't. Like I'm sorry, but like I think PTA is gonna be okay, even though okay, he's got Maya Rudolph makes a net of ten million dollars a year. Yeah, no, no, she's just worth ten million dollars. <laughs> He must be really good at investing or some shit. I imagine those numbers must be inflated. Some way. Or like inaccurate. And there's no way Maya Rudolph's only worth ten million. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure the residuals from Bridesmaids alone. Yeah. Like... That's ten million right there. Alright, fellas, I think it's probably gonna go and grab some food. Mm. that's time all right we can shut her down um andrew thanks again for being on the podcast of course i'm glad that you know you recognize that this was a movie that i'd be obsessed to talk with about so i was more than happy to come in of course i can't can't we'll be seeing you again in a couple weeks yeah a week and a half when we do our top 25 of the year is that we're doing 25 or 10 25 you've set a standard Coming for the top 25, Andrew? Uh, yes, I need to add 15 more movies, which will be uh, kind of difficult, but for sure. I do have, there's, there's been good stuff this year. I do have my top 50 of the decade already like panned out, because I, I made a conscious decision to not include any December 2019 places due to recency bias. You might, you might mis- regret that. Mine is only December. Fifty movies released this month. Pack number one. Fuck. You shouldn't have this in your mouth. Are we... Okay, so here's a serious question. Is this the last episode before we do the top 25? Mm, TBD? I can hold off posting this for a few days if we want it to be. I'm fine with that. Sure. I got no problem. Okay, so then the next time you hear from us, Andrew, you'll be back, and we'll be discussing our top 25 films of 2019. Oh, yeah. So, we can record top 25 and top 15 the same day, since we'll all be here. Why not? That's a tall order for me to get those lists together in time. We don't have to release them at the same time, but I just record them all at once. I'll, we'll I'll literally all be here. I'll we can. Yeah, we can. Not? I'll have my list ready, so. Let's have some food. We'll make a day of it. Fuck. Okay, it's got to be a Tuesday or Wednesday, then. Those are the only days I got off. Yeah, 
I'm only here. Uh, Tuesday's my birthday, so we could do Wednesday probably. I, I, I'm fine with it. It's just that I work till six, but I mean I'm down to like come right up, come right after and just record until like I don't know, eleven or something. <laughs> I feel like that's something you can get done in like five hours, right? I would say the top twenty five is like two hours and then Honestly, I, we're we're fine I'm fine not devoting too much time to the top. 25 of the year and then just making a main focus out of top 50 of the decade that's why we could just do a top 10 i'm down with that idea i think top 10 is better because like it was honestly a struggle getting to 10 I'm here you can do a top we'll do a top 10 and then you can do 15 honorable mentions i'm gonna do a top five and 20 honorable mentions <laughs> we could do a top 10 and top then do the top 50 then you then you could really all fit it in well, so my thinking was that our top 25 would probably just have a ton of overlap, so we would possibly quickly anyways. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know. We'll talk about it. We can I have hash- 25 ready to go. We can hash out these details at yeah. a later time. So yeah, I I, just, I don't know if I can call it was 25. That was like a struggle getting to 10. I guess I will read my 25, and the rest of you can act like you didn't watch 25 movies this year. <clears throat> Good idea. <laughs> top 25, it just seems so bloated when you think, like, top 25 of the year, top 50 of the decade? Like, just that just seems skewed. Top 25 was your idea. That's no, it was. <laughs> Bullshit. It was you, because I'm always about the top 10. Definitely wasn't top me. Top 10 is dumb. Like, who cares? Were you top 10? We were like, give us some fucking depth. Let's go to 25. But that just seems like you're just including so many movies. Like, I just want the 10 best. Okay, well, you don't give the 10 best because you don't rank them that way. We're doing two in a row. Do. We're, doing, we're doing two rankings in a row. I think this is this time, even to, if we do 25 you, going forward. To us, we are doing two in a row. To everyone else listening, we are not doing two in a row. Well, yeah, but, like, I don't care about them. Except Mikey. We'll figure it out, I guess. Until next time, come back where you might hear a top 25 or you might hear a top 10. We don't know. They're going to hear this whole conversation, aren't they? Yeah, I'm not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah, <why not? laughs> It's a little behind-the-scenes sneak peek. I'm down with it. Just say I won't cut that he fucked up the intro. I'll just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I didn't fuck it up, by the way. Chris cut me off. It was a funny joke I made, though. So I get a pass. <clears throat> All right. Andrew, you get out of here. Get some food. Everybody, thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.